Hello, and thank you for calling Movie Phone, brought to you by the Killer Bee, B96. <laughs> hey, says to Miss Cockman here. Baby, up your butt with a coconut. I think he was prepared to do it. Dylan. You son of a bitch. I'm going to tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. Check it out. Terrific. A six-demon bag. Sensational. What's in it, Egg? Hey, yo, Kareem, baby, what's up? Well, listen, you ought to ditch the geeks in the car with now and get in with us, but that's all right. We'll worry about that later. Hey, homie, you need some help? I don't know where you're headed, but can you call in sick? baby what's up <laughs> should that be the new intro that, what's up nail it? i nail it <laughs> harken back to our first episode oh, man. i always gotta echo something back i know hey welcome back to another episode of two seat cinema my name is lou and i'm dan it's dan again it's lou again we're doing episode four today we're moving right along Yes, yes, and this hopefully uh, moves faster than the last one. But <laughs> we'll you know see. what? I, I, in retrospect, I love pump up the volume now. I'm, I'm resold on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, it reignited my passion, and that takes us to uh, our, our pick for today, which is your choice, The Lost Boys. Yep, Lost Boys. Um, yeah, I went into this with the expectation that. Uh, uh, it would reignite my my feels about the Lost Boys, and um, yeah, we'll talk about that, I suppose. <laughs> uh, like the previous episodes and every episode we do after this, we're gonna spoil the fuck out of this movie. So if you have not seen it and you don't want to know what's gonna happen, pause this shit, go watch the movie, come back, and then listen afterwards. If you don't care about spoilers, uh, we're gonna give it to you hard. So you know, sit back, enjoy. And let's jump into this thing. Hit it. Uh, the Lost Boys is directed by Joel Schumacher. It was written by Jan Fisher and James Jeremias, I think is how you pronounce his name. And uh, with a rewrite by Jeffrey Bohm. So I, I wanted to touch real quick. Do you have like a favorite Schumacher film? This uh, is the first, this is... I think this is the first uh, This is the first episode where we've got a director that actually did other shit I care about. So I honestly... If if you you talked to me last year, this would have been it. I'm not sure anymore. Um, <laughs> Saint Elmo's Fire has a has a catchy theme song to it, and uh, I always <laughs> like hearing that 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 song. So <laughs> it is a good song. Exactly. I don't know if I've ever seen Saint Elmo's Fire. If I'm being honest with you, I know it, but I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. I've seen it in snippets, and it I could care less because I had it on cassette tape, and that was all that mattered. Yeah. Well, my favorite Joel Schumacher is Hands Down, A Time to Kill, which is another Kiefer Sutherland classic. Uh, my love affair with Matthew McConaughey, you know, began with Dazed and Confused, but was propelled quite quite further with that one. And uh, 
Yeah, I like I like that movie. There's really nothing about that movie I don't like other than maybe the subject matter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely hits hits a little bit uh in a more realistic vibe than than The Lost Boys does. And you know, since you mentioned it, I, I would probably rank that above The Lost Boys, um, as far as a maturity level would go and where I should respect the films themselves. I think I had a soft spot for The Lost Boys just based upon, you know, its release timed with my youth and all that. Yeah. So that being said, a time to kill. It's it's one of those movies where watching it makes you think about things that you wish you know you didn't have to think about. Whereas in right. Lost Boys, you think about things that are fantasy elements that I, I'm assuming somebody could prove me wrong, but I'm assuming I don't have to worry too much about uh, vampires. And and I live close to Gary, Indiana, and uh, Chicago, and both of those seem to outweigh the murder capital of uh, Santa Clara <laughs> or Santa yeah. Clara. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're probably in in more danger where you're at than if you were over in Santa Cruz, aka <laughs> Santa Carla. And I want to give a, a honorable mention to Falling Down, which is also a, a classic Joel Schumacher. Got it. So he's a prolific but, guy, but honestly, he was he was more prolific with his report of how many men he slept with over the years. <laughs> you know, I met him once. I don't actually have this in my notes, and I forgot until right now. I rang him up when I worked at Tower Records, and I didn't recognize him. He just was like an older man with a fucking gray ponytail, and mm. he was very nice. And then when he paid with a credit card, before I even looked at the credit card, I asked him for ID because that was you know policy at that tower. And he bust out his ID, and it was Joel Schumacher. And I did like a double take, and he just smiled at me, probably like, "Yeah, that's me." But mm. he was super nice. I don't remember what he bought. <laughs> the laser disc edition of Lost Boys. <laughs> that would have been weird. Uh yeah, the the script originally apparently had more of a Goonies vibe to it and then Jeffrey Bohm came in at the uh request of Joel Schumacher and rewrote it with more mature themes and aged up all the characters and you know the Lost Boys originally was you know very very pointed towards the Peter Pan thing and the original script had a lot of that in it. In fact, there was characters named after those characters from Peter Pan, but the rewrite on it kind of scrubbed all that bullshit out. Logistically, do you, I mean, was that those changes, do you believe they were made because they wanted to just distance themselves from the Goonies and didn't want to blend and blur the lines or it was just his ideology didn't match what the, you know, the younger version was. I think Joel Schumacher wanted fuckable vampires. I think that's what it was. I think he just wanted it more sexy. Got so, it. Can't... Nothing sexier than Alex Winter's uh, perm mullet in this, this film. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk all about that here in a minute. Um, yeah, the, the movie was released on July 31st in 1987. So when I was 11, uh, which would have made you, what, 16? Yeah. Yeah. And a budget of $8.5 million. The gross box office was $32.2 million. When I look at the gross of $32 million, it, it seems like it's not a lot. But again, we're, we're looking at it from a 2021 perspective. But yeah. at the same – because at the same time, though, they have pretty much – and I wouldn't – I mean, let's be relevant to – you know, or relative to, to the status here. But they have an A-list of – younger movie talent involved here with a young Kiefer Sutherland, you know, you've got, you know, the, the Corys, which were 
<laughs> high high in demand at that point for some reason. They weren't the Corys yet, though, because this, I believe, was their first movie together. So they okay. were both okay. Corey, but they weren't like, they didn't have that. You know, it wasn't like Dream a Little Dream era Corey Heyman Feldman. Okay. So I've flipped the perspective then. Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, Haim, obviously, this was like pretty new for him. Feldman had been around. I think he did Stand By Me the same year as this. So And, well, I mean, Goonies preceded it as well, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah Goonies would have been a couple years earlier. But, I mean, Feldman definitely had cachet. Uh, I think the only real, like, outright star in this was probably Kiefer Sutherland, though. I think. Jason think, Patrick had a name, but he wasn't like. I think at the end of the day, you know, the two most deserving to be left standing, you know, are the ones left standing being Kiefer Sutherland and Diane Weist. Yeah. Diane Weist is awesome. <laughs> I, I fucking love Diane Weist. I, I know you do. <laughs> do you? You enjoy saying her name as well. It's not just that, though. I, <laughs> I think she's great. I mean, she. my love for her goes back to, like, parenthood, yes. you know. Um uh, she's fantastic in that, but we'll talk more about her in yes. a minute. Um, yeah, this this movie didn't open against anything. I don't think anything else opened the same day as this. La Bamba opened the week before, and Hope and Glory opened the week after. Which you know, we know La Bamba. I don't know if you're familiar with Hope and Glory. I remember it from watching it on like HBO as a kid. Wasn't it the Civil War film? Not Civil no, that's War. Glory. It was like World that's... War Two, maybe World War One. I, I think I'm something... thinking of just Glory then. Yeah, yeah. Glory is a Civil War movie. Uh, Hope and Glory is like in Britain or in England um, okay. during one of the world wars. Not a bad movie, if I remember, but not a, not what we're talking about here. So, yeah, th- this didn't open against anything else of note. So no saving Private Ryan. Nope. That was many years later. <laughs> uh, yeah, my first exposure to this film, I know I didn't see it in the theater. I would have been too young, probably. I mean, that's not 100% true. I saw some weird movies in the theater. Uh, next week's choice of, of a movie for the podcast will be one of those that I saw in the theater where I was way too young to have seen it in the theater. But I don't remember seeing this in the theater. And I'm guessing I probably saw it on premium cable a couple of years after HBO at Grandma's house or something like that. Um, I know I bought it on VHS when it was officially released, but it wasn't actually officially released until 1993. So, yeah, it was a long time after that it was, like, available for sale on VHS. And I remember buying it from Suncoast. Okay. So, for me, I do not have a distinct memory of seeing it in the theater. I know that if I had, um, most likely would have been either Randhurst or Town & Country that I would have seen it at. Um, I remember seeing it around my junior year somewhere in that vicinity or, bef- you know, right before the summer before my junior year. So that jives with theater release. Yeah. But I don't, I, 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 I can't put it back in my mind to that. But I also remember um, a couple of different occasions watching it from a rental. Um, one time, for example, I feel I watched it at my friend Adam's house on VHS that we rented. Nice. That was also... Um, that would have see that would have been junior or senior year, so that, that it, clearly it would have been somewhere knowing those release times about six months after the fact. Yeah, this is this would be a good movie for like renting with friends, you know, especially back then. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it's I, a good like sleepover movie, you know. Yeah, get the popcorn going. 
exactly. Watch some vampires. Fuck. <laughs> um, this poster. I really like this poster. I don't know what it is. I, I, maybe it's the black and white against the red, but I think this is a cool poster. I don't have any feelings about like memories of it or anything. It, to me, I just think of the cover of the VHS, but like, I, I dig this poster. Well, I think they made a smart choice, though, in the fact that they, they took a couple just iconic elements to the film and used them in the art itself. You've got the sunglasses. Like, that's right there. Um, I'm... You can't see it, but I'm wearing a T-shirt that, that features those sunglasses right now. Dan's got his Lost Boys T-shirt on right now for, <laughs> um, for all that all, all out there that cannot see. You've got you've got Keith Kiefer with his bleach blonde hair. You've got Jamie Gertz kind of drowsily leaning on him. I mean, it's and then like you said, you got a nice little contrast between a black and white and a stark red, and with the uh, pseudo religious gothic looking. Uh, script of the the movie title itself so it, it was smart marketing yeah and i you know the other thing i like about it is unlike the can't hardly wait poster we talked about where it's obviously like a promo shot of a bunch of characters who wouldn't be posing like that together this looks like potentially they would be posed like this to some degree yeah. it doesn't it's not counter to what the movie is to have them pose the way they are right like i said with with, with jamie leaning on on Kiefer's shoulder like for example like it's it's not a shot from the movie that I can picture, but I can picture it being a shot from the movie. Yeah, except for Corey Haim, there is a little out of place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's... I feel like he snuck in there when no one was looking. <laughs> and this is, of course, before Photoshop, so there would have been a hard, uh, you know, physical edit to get them him in there. So, yeah. So yeah, that's the fucking poster. Let's let's do the plot, man. Let's dive right into this son of a bitch. Yeah, let's plot it out. Let's do it. So the movie starts with us flying over the ocean, and right out of the gate we get hit with what is a truly superb theme song in Cry Little Sister by Gerard McMahon, who I don't know anything about this fucking guy, but this is the song you you talked about at the end yep. of last episode with the Thou Shall Not yeah. Kill, with the singing, the kids singing. They definitely got their money's worth out of the, the track itself. I mean, it, per, it permeates throughout the film probably about four times its surfaces. Yeah. It's a good it's a good song for this, too, though. It's got the per, I think it's got a perfect vibe for this. Yeah, it's got the melancholy children's voices singing, you know, the chorus. And it's just, it, it works. It works for it. It fits the, you know, the 80s vibe. Um, there's There's some other choices that are awkward, but this one... This one goes, it's pretty, it's woven pretty seamlessly into the film itself and becomes another characteristic of the film that you obviously echoes in your memory when you think of this film. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. On the beach, we see a boardwalk amusement park with a roller coaster and a bunch of carnival rides. We focus on a merry-go-round where we get our first look at David, played by Kiefer Sutherland, leading his entourage of dudes that look like uh, very 80s hair metal. Uh, that's what I thought when I saw them. I don't know if you have a different take on it. But. Yeah, but it's it's like an amalgamation of of different hair metal. If you, if there could be such a thing, I mean, you've got like a a twisted sister look, and then you've got a Bon Jovi look next to it. And while yeah. that might seem like the same look to somebody else, it, it to me it speaks a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like hit, they're hitting all the different uh, levels of of cheesy metal basically yeah it's like they had this entourage it's like they had a, all they had different hairdressers on on set <laughs> for sure obviously they would they had an idea of like we're gonna have they're all gonna have a distinctive look but they're all gonna still look like a crew yeah but i mean look at look at Kiefer sutherland's hair in this it's it's the punkier version of the rest of them 
and I mentioned Alex Winter, you know, his his perm mullet, it's like I've never <laughs> I, I I've never seen that work ever any time ever and later on when it's hanging upside down it's even more ridiculous. It's the best. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. The best. Oh, I can't wait till we get there. Um one thing I really did like, I like the way that when we're introduced to them, they're barely in slow-mo. Like, it's not totally slow, but it's, like, a little slower. And then the way it's filmed is really, I think it introduces them really well. Like, I, I thought that when I saw I was like, oh, okay, this is, like, to me, I'm like, oh, this is a director. We got a director here. Yeah. He's got a vision. It's, well... It's like you said. It's a good setup. It's a good intro. It, it it's a good feel. Um, it's that kind of the exposition right there. It, it's short and it speaks to itself. And you you've already met you know the, the 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 vamp crew and you know you can tell that they're at least the antagonist in the film at this point already. Yeah, we're not thinking that they're the heroes uh, at this point. And I mentioned here, you know, Alex Winter of Bill and Ted fame as one of the vampire crew. And this is one of those things where I, he just jumps out at me. It's so conspicuous, his casting in this, and there's nothing wrong with him. He's fine. Like, I don't mind him in the movie, but because of thinking of him as bill, like he just, every time he's on screen, I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's bill. Bill and Ted's fucking bill is, is his credit as Alex winter or is it Alexander? I think this is the one where it's Alexander. This one's Alexander. I just didn't know if if he used that more professionally and then just cut it short later. Yeah, or... no. Fun fact for you. He was using Alexander at this point, and Joel Schumacher actually wanted him to shorten it to Alex for this movie because it was taking up too much space in the credits like on the screen, and they couldn't get the legal side of that taken care of before the movie came out. So that's why he's listed as Alexander, but I believe this is probably his last Alexander. Okay. Uh, yeah, good old Alex. Yeah, it threw me for a loop when I when I saw the credits roll with it that way. Yeah, yeah, there is a reason for it. It's interesting. <laughs> um, so there's a brief altercation between David's crew and some vaguely punk rock looking dudes when David touches the face of a woman with the punk rockers, and this was funny to me just because the way he touches her face, it's not, it's like, you know, we're getting a hint here that there's something supernatural. They're not just like, you know scumbags <laughs> you know there's something a little more to it than that but we don't know exactly what yet. yeah it was it, it was kind of odd that there was this suggestive caress you know leading over yeah. you know the boyfriend basically to do so <laughs> it's not it, it's very intrusive and in personal space violation and you obviously there's something to this character that he would have the nerve to just do that outright right uh, and of course, as the situ- the situation gets heated, uh, I love how David grabs the main punk rocker guy's face and just stares at him. Like he's not even trying to punch or th- it's not a fight. It's just grabs the guy's face and holds it and just looking at him. It's really funny. That's, that's the, uh, the, the vampire's willpower or aura at work. There you go. Yeah, I, I dug it. I, that's the move, man. If you're going to get in a fight with somebody, just, just hold their face <laughs> with your, with your leather gloved hand. Yes. Before the the fight can break out, a security guard uses his baton to hold David by the neck and reminds them that he has told them to stay off the boardwalk, and uh, David and his crew acquiesce. So, for some reason, they don't want to take this up a notch here. Yeah, they go peacefully, comparatively speaking. They do. And it's funny, because the dialogue implies that we've already had this conversation with them before. Like, the security guards had this conversation with them before, so I'm not sure why this was the moment that they decided, but in a minute we're going to find out that 
they were done with that security guard. There's a great shot of David on the merry-go-round while his homies are walking next to it. So he's on the merry-go-round walking, and it's in that slight slow-mo again. So he's walking, and then his homeboys are down on the ground walking. So he's moving a little faster than them. And the way it's blocked, I really like. Like that, again, Joel Schumacher had a vision, and I was down for it at that point. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, I think later on you see a a couple of uh, missteps with that that vision. So just some (laughs) of the the, the, – choices later don't don't speak to me i look forward to hearing about those uh one thing that did stand out to me though everybody on this fucking merry-go-round looks like they're in their 30s there's no kids on this merry-go-round and i know it's nighttime but it's a fucking merry-go-round yeah yeah it's it seemed uh in i don't know it seemed kind of incongruous that like it was it was that exact way you speak you know you're right it's it was like Here's here's like the college to early thirties group that are all um, hanging out together. I mean, maybe it's because of the I don't know the the venue with the rocking concert later that we see, but um, <laughs> that's drawn this crowd. <laughs> but um, and they're all just kind of hanging out on the carousel for a day beforehand. Don't really know the nature of that. Yeah, and I mean the concert you're talking about isn't isn't this no, day. It's a day. So later. so maybe he maybe that guy's just always there every night and he just draws the same crowd, but uh, we could speculate more on Thank that. Thank you. We'll be here uh, all week. <laughs> exactly. It's like a, a residency. Yes. Doing a fucking residency. Uh so later after the boardwalk shuts down, we see the same security guard walking through the empty parking lot to his car. We get the similar view from the sky. We're going to see a lot of these like POV shots from the sky. And this time it's accompanied by the sound of wings flapping and some kind of screeching happening before the security guard is snatched up into the sky by what, whatever was stalking him. And uh, as he's being like yanked off the ground, he's trying to open his car door and you get a view from inside the car and the car door is ripped off its hinges. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? Why would the car door get ripped off? That guy's it's not like that guy's fucking hand was soldered to it like <laughs> right i mean in in you've notated this for later down the pipe here but at the same time yeah. this this dude's arm would have been ripped out of its socket if if he's being hauled by his legs or his shoulder or his torso and he's holding so desperately on to a car door that's not open i mean i it, there's the leverage just isn't there the leverage like the weak the weak link in that chain right there is his shoulder you know the ball joint in his shoulder you know if it's not the fingers it's definitely the, right. the shoulder but it's not the hinges on the car no and it, again it's a locked we, sure. we know it's a locked door at this point you know it doesn't yeah. just it, i mean it rips fully off the car frame yeah i i was like okay so we're gonna do this <laughs> it's been a while since i saw this movie and i didn't remember that detailed and i was like okay i guess we're gonna do this so We'll get more of that we'll, in the in, in the, We're looking at it with a little bit more discerning eyes than than a first viewing, so maybe that's more forgivable at the time. Especially a first viewing of like a fifteen or sixteen year old, you know? Like that seems reasonable maybe when you're fourteen in the eighties than it does when you're forty four in the two thousand and twenties. That's right, man. I'm coming off of watching Bill Bixby as the Hulk. There you go. So it's daytime now, and we're flying over the coastline again. Like I said, lots of these POV flying through the, the air shots, which, you know, okay, vampires, bats, whatever. I get it. Um, 
we meet Lucy, played by the always wonderful Diane Weist. And I did write that, the always wonderful, because she's fantastic. I It's not like I'm attracted to Diane Weist, but I'm kind of attracted to her. That's her magnetism. I, I mean, I'm getting to the age where it's appropriate. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think I, I'm pretty sure I'm older now than Diane Weist was in this movie. Which fucks uh, she's, with my head a little bit. She is. She's timeless. I don't know. I mean, you can honestly, though, like looking at watching her performance, I'm like, she could be any, you know, any age in this film, and it's she's going to be herself in this, and I, I can't tell. I, she's great. I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> uh, and her teenage sons are with her as well. Michael is played by Jason Patrick, who we mentioned earlier on the poster, and his younger brother Sam is played by Corey Haim, who we're going to talk about a lot. I have a feeling. they're just arriving in town and we'll later learn that lucy is newly divorced and moving her family in with her dad so she can get her shit together it's at this point that i got weirded out by the fact that diane weist is younger than me like again (laughs) i what the fuck i looked at him like she's like the mom character and i at some point i have to realize i'm old right when's that gonna happen Mm. has it happened to you yet (laughs) No, I mean, yes, it, it, I guess it depends on the day, you yeah. know, it, it's more about how my body feels than, than how I emotionally feel. I think, I think the emotional feel doesn't necessarily change. I think it's at some point you, you realize your, your body can't do things that used to do, whether it's flexibility or aches and pains, things like that. Maintain an erection. No, that's, that's okay. <laughs> but I mean, I you pa- look I, at it from perspective. I I mean, all right. You, you, hey, you. <laughs> You know, if you want to air your dirty laundry, it's okay. But I mean, oh man, <laughs> you know, there's 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 ways around that, Lou. I mean, I know, but I'm um, I'm, I'm too fat. I'm scared to take Viagra styles. Yeah, I just couldn't. I mean, in, in in my mind, I couldn't picture even attempting to do the splits, and I'm have trouble touching my toes at this point. So yeah, that's the only time you feel old is when you realize you can't do the splits. <sighs> yeah, that and. I don't know, man. When when it uh, hurts to walk up a flight of stairs after, you know, <laughs> yeah, doing some some manual labor. I gotcha. Building a fucking fence. No, oh, yeah, I, I I digress. So they pass a welcome sign for Santa Carla, and we see the back of the sign is spray painted to say "Murder Capital of the World." And this is when we cue uh, people are strange. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I didn't know that this was not the Doors version of the song. I did. I on the bunny man. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that. In my memory, I thought this was the Doors version. So when it started playing, and I'm like, "That's not fucking Jim." <laughs> like, what? What is? What's going on here? And I then think... I realized, like, oh, I like this better because I don't like the fucking Doors. Yeah, I think I think it, you know what might trigger that in your mind is that it's the the big Jim Morrison like hanging. Yeah, the, the, the vampire layer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you that know, is like that, that definitely stuck out in my mind <laughs> i think i think when you look back through the eons here in 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 our memories we both probably could have had that blur the two yeah so that it, it you know i can see that being reasonable yeah well i was uh pleasantly surprised because i like uh i don't you know i'm not like an echo and the bunnyman fan or anything but i definitely prefer this version to the original and i listen to both of them just to kind of compare and contrast afterwards i'm like no yeah the fuck the doors not a, not a fan. I'll, I'll I'll go out on a limb here and say the only Doors song that I really could ever listen to again is from Apocalypse Now. This is the end. That's the only thing that speaks to me of of their work at this point. Well, when we do the Apocalypse Now episode, I'll give you my 
my my feelings about it because I don't know that song. Yeah, I can already predict them. <laughs> so we get a montage of Santa Carla, and it reminds me a lot of Venice, California, not Italy. Uh, lots of street people and weirdos, basically. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and you've already answered that for me, so thanks. Yeah, it's very Venice-like. Um, an interesting place to visit, not somewhere I would want to live, though. Although people seem to like living there. I just, yeah, too much weird. So that being said... If that resembles Venice, so does the rural location of their house that they end up staying at, does that also fit into to Venice mo- mo- no. like no. sensibility? Okay. Nope. No. And I, I mean, you know, it, Santa Cruz is a very particular place, so it's got a similarity to Venice like that, but the fact that it's got the boardwalk with the fucking... You know, Venice is close to Santa Monica, and Santa Monica has the pier with the roller coaster on it, so you could kind of combine those two in your mind. But if you're going to try to find, like, a rural area like that with a house, you're going to Malibu, and and you're not going to see a house that looks that dilapidated out there. So you're going to have to go over the fucking hill to get to something like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, you got a dirt road leading up to the dilapidated house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's a good place to, to put your vampire movie. <laughs> so all right forward yeah during the montage is the first time we get a good look at Corey Haim's clothes and i want to know what the fuck is up with that did you did this clock to you at all did you uh, catch this it was more than the 80s dude there's something going on there there's some weirdness uh, going on i don't know it, it i guess i was more i don't know accustomed to that i didn't wear anything like that but yeah there's some weird clothes I mean, the, when when we talk about the part where they're they're unloading in the house, what stuck out in my mind as weirder was, you know, Mikey, you know, deciding that as he's walking in, he's going to start doing barbell curls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like I I don't understand that at all, other than maybe uh, Schumacher wanted to get get in on some uh, some early beefcake. Yeah, well, nailed it. That's that's that was memorable to me too. It stuck out to me. In fact, there's a chance that's in my notes here in a minute. Uh, I look forward to finding out. This is it'll be fun for both of us. But yeah, Corey Haim's clothes are weird in this movie, and I feel like maybe Schumacher was fucking with him. Also, I didn't realize until this viewing that Thomas Newman did the score, and I love fucking Thomas Newman. So that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, no, it's good. Nothing wrong so far. So good. Lucy, Michael, and Sam arrive at Grandpa's house to find him splayed out on his porch. Uh, Sam makes a comment that if he's dead, can they go back to Phoenix? So we get a little expo there. We kind of get a vibe of what's going on. The kids don't want to, didn't want to move. Uh, turns out Grandpa was only playing dead. And I guess they're showing us that he's got a dark sense of humor here, maybe. But that struck me as a very strange intro to Grandpa. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't expect that to be commonplace by any means at all. I mean, and but the fact of the matter is, you know, Lucy, as she comes upon her father's, you know, splayed out on on a porch, she has <laughs> very little reaction to it whatsoever, other than dad. Get, get up. <laughs> oh, dad! <laughs> and then, exactly. And then, yeah, at some point, like someone says, "Is he playing dead?" And he says, "Doing a damn good job of it." Yep. <laughs> like, okay. We're meeting. We're we're definitely getting it right out in front that he's kooky. Yeah, he's kooky for sure. And uh, it's also worth noting at this point that Michael's got a dirt bike. So yeah, that'll 
that'll play in later. And I had to rewind because, you know, when they're coming into the town and they're, the three of them are in the car and they're chit-chatting and listening to the radio, and then it cuts to, like, a montage, and then it shows them pulling up to Grandpa's house, and now Michael's riding his dirt bike outside the car. And I was like, where the fuck was that dirt bike when they were all three in the car? I rewound and looked at it, and there was a lump in the back of, like, they're, they're towing a trailer that has, like, a tarp over it. And... There is a lump in that fucking tarp that seems to be flatter in the scene where the dirt bike. So the only thing I can think is that his dirt bike was like laid on top of other shit with a tarp over it <laughs> during that earlier scene. I know I'm thinking a lot harder th- about this than it was intended, but I, listen, that's what we're doing here. It, it was a weird choice there. You know, like let's let's it almost the way you've broken it down now makes it seem like it was a forced uh, decision to we need to now introduce the dirt bike. Yeah. Well, again, we're going to find out why he's got a dirt bike later because it's not random. I mean, it's supposed to be random, I suppose, but (laughs) it's not coincidental. Yeah. So the brothers are discussing the lack of TV in Grandpa's house. And while they do this, Michael does these barbell curls that Dan spoke of earlier, which amused me greatly. But I could also see, like, if you're carrying your barbell into the kitchen and then, like, talking to your brother, you're going to bust out, like, a set real quick. That doesn't seem so, that weird. Let's go back, though. Why the fuck is he walking barbells into the kitchen? <laughs> I I mean, they're his barbells. He's got to put them somewhere, right? Maybe he doesn't want to take <sighs> them upstairs yet to his room. I mean, was it ad-libbed? I mean, did, did he <laughs> want to look buff at this point? I, I don't. I mean, this, yeah, it's silly. Jason Patrick's a, a, a handsome dude. He's a he's a he's a beefcake, like you said. Right, but he's I mean, brooding enough. I mean, you know, he's got the sunglasses going for him later, and <laughs> doesn't need the barbell. Doesn't yeah, the barbell. Do does, and, and, and you know, and sadly, the barbell doesn't make a reappearance anytime in the film. No, this is it. This is one workout sesh. <laughs> exactly. But if it, at some point later on they had, you know, flung <laughs> flung like a plate weight across the room and decapitated somebody with it, I'd be like, okay, now the barbell needs the exposition to get it into play. Well, now that we're thinking about all that, too, they didn't have a lot of stuff. They had a car with some shit in the back, and then they had a trailer that's got some stuff in it. It seems to me that if you're Diane Weist, you're like, leave the fucking weights, dude. Like, we don't have room for this. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can pick up some stuffed raccoons and, and curl those later when we get to Grandpa's. <laughs> exactly, you could curl Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I fuck with those curls, though. I'm going to be honest with you. Ugh. So uh, outside, Lucy and her dad talk about her divorce, and then back inside, we learn that Grandpa's hobby is taxidermy, because there's lots of stuffed dead animals around the, the house yeah there's there's i think probably two major references to Tex- texas chainsaw massacre and you know they're both pointing towards the fact that he has a whole room full of the taxidermy yeah and that that definitely echoes <laughs> walking into the uh uh Weatherface's work room yeah it's been a while since i saw texas chainsaw massacre but i believe you it's not as shocking that, that at age uh, 50 than it is, you know, at age 16. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, This is also really, we really get a a good idea here that Grandpa was told to go hard on the weird. Uh, He he left no stone unturned on the weird, that's for sure. Um, Yeah, at one point he says, Rules! We got some rules around here. And I laughed. I thought he sounded kind of like a fucking pirate or something. Yeah, he's, and, and on top of that, the rules are about protecting root beer. Yeah, his rules start, and uh, 
we're talking about his special shelf in the refrigerator, which is labeled old fart, which is fun. And houses his that's peanut the, butter. That's a kooky. Yeah. That's a kooky. He's kooky. And it houses his peanut butter boppers, his root beer, and his double thick Oreo cookies. <laughs> that's where I keep my root beers and my double thick Oreo cookies. Yeah, so why are they double thick and not double stuffed? <laughs> that I, was I my want question. to know. I was like, who calls those double thick Oreo cookies? I said that out loud three or four times in the moment. I was like, I feel like somebody who thick. doesn't eat them. That yeah, it, I mean, it, I guess it is kind of like an old person thing to do that. But I want two tickets for the Paul Newman movie. Exactly, <laughs> Dan. Harking back to the days of selling old people movie tickets at the theater. Uh, which film was that, sir? The, the Paul, the Paul Newman, Newman film. Yeah, the Paul Newman film. I'm not going to say the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, why is he keeping his fucking Oreos in the fridge? Is that a thing? I've eaten a lot of Oreos uh, and never put my shit in the fridge. Okay, on the real, I, I I will do that, and then I will have them, and they'll be nice, the, the perfect temperature for when I dip them in milk. That's, you like a that's cold Oreo? I See, I think when you cold when you make Oreo, them cold, cold milk. I think when you when you make an Oreo colder, it's less absorbent for the milk, it, and and that's the key right Is that there. What you want? You, yeah, you you because you can then control how hard or how soft that that oreo is going to be man when when you go you hold it in the milk longer softer you 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 give it a little dunk you you just got that splash i want that oreo fucking soft dude i want i'm gonna i don't want to have to hold my oreo in the milk for 20 minutes to let it thaw out (laughs) i'm just gonna go out and buy you an oreo mcflurry then there you go i like i like dipping a nice room temperature oreo in cold milk (laughs) all right well you gotta try it I'm not gonna put Oreos in the fridge. Uh, I'm sorry. Right, well, next next time I'm you're too in old to learn I'll, new I'll tricks. Have I'll have them in here for you. Okay. Yeah. Next time I visit you, I'm gonna I expect Oreos in your fridge. Double thick <laughs> Oreo cookies, by the way, is what I need. His second rule is don't touch anything. Uh, his third rule is don't rip the address label off his TV guide. And his fourth rule is stay out of his taxidermy room. And it occurs to me that rule one and three are kind of redundant if you consider his second rule, which is don't touch anything. For sure. But um, you know. it, the, the the TV guide was that was a gag, so that um, you know they could reinforce how how boring these two boys' life is going to be. That he subscribes to TV guide, but you don't need a TV if you have the TV guide. Yeah, that line pissed me off. If I was a kid, I would have said, "The fuck are you talking about, Grandpa?" Like, absolutely. It doesn't. It, it doesn't like. That makes it made no sense. Uh, yeah, it's a gag. You're right. It's a gag. But fuck that. Also, <laughs> Grandpa has marijuana plants growing outside the kitchen window, which is the most realistic detail in this fucking movie so far. Because Grandpa's high as fuck. Yeah, and he's almost living off the grid at this point. It's it seems like he's that far removed when you when you take the dusty trail to his house. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So uh, we've got another nighttime flyover shot of the ocean. Some more wing flapping, some more screeching, and we're back at the boardwalk this time for an outdoor concert. And uh, can we take a moment of silence for the the majesty of Tim Capello? <sighs> I said, there take a moment of silence. <laughs> That was that was always it. That was all we had. <laughs> that was that it. Breath. Uh, this concert scene is my second most memorable part of this film. Uh, for me, this is uh. like thinking back to this movie. I was looking forward to Tim Capello, saxophone in hand, muscles, oil, 
ponytail, doing the second most fantastic hip thrusts ever committed to film, behind only John Travolta's <laughs> thrusting in Perfect. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to be at this concert so bad. Oh, yeah, you know, and I'm going to call out the unrealistic aspect of the saxophone. I, it's He just goes and grabs it, and he's wailing on it, but I want to know, where's the neck strap? How is, how is he pulling this off? How is he getting, how is he getting the, these vicious whales off while, while holding it? On the, the only way to do that is it, it, it's, it's not it's not practical in the least. It's like he's it's like the palming a basketball. <laughs> like it's like how are you doing that, man? Right, but if if palming a basketball involved moving your fingers to to change the <laughs> notes, you know, like it's it's not it's not a, a thing. So I don't play the saxophone, so I can't speak to that, but I it's not am, practical. I'm willing to just go with him on this. Uh, it was it was a prop. It was just a simple prop. It, it, it was as much as the oil on his body. He plays that fucking sax though in real life. Like he, yeah, well, he's not like in this a film. he's a he played sax for like Tina Turner and shit back in the day. Like he, he's not legit. In this film not in this film. Well, I'll, I'll agree with you, but I did listen to this song on Spotify three or four times <laughs> after I was done watching this movie. <laughs> just so you know, I feel compelled oh. to tell you that. Did you did you like light some flames up in the room and you know I burned my t- apartment to the ground. Yes, <laughs> the only thing the only thing left is a smoldering saxophone. <laughs> how how much body oil did you did you lube on all, yourself during all this? of the body oil? That's part of what helped the the flames. You know, <laughs> it fed the flames is all the oil. Oh, I, I I think you probably would have been better off with just vaselining yourself. Yeah, well, I'm sure there was some on Capello. He could have spared me some. Did you notice oh. also the uh, the marquee behind him on stage just says the word live with nothing else? Yep. <laughs> I did notice that. Tammy called that out to me and I had to rewind. And I wanted to know, like... Did some were they changing acts in between, or like did, did the did they just not want to pay the guy? Were they paying him by the letter? I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe this was the original incarnation of the band live before you know throwing <laughs> copper or whatever exactly. fucking album was their hit album. The light, the lightning strikes, what a, you know. Yeah. All right. So uh, <laughs> Sam and Michael are at the the concert that we've spent the last ten minutes talking about, and uh, during Tim's set, Michael notices Star played by. Jamie Gertz. Jamie Gertz is kind of a weird choice here. I don't I'm not saying I don't like her, but it's interesting. Okay, I'll go with back to my replaceable, irreplaceable argument. She's nice and cute and cuddly, but she's replaceable in this role. So you're saying that Jennifer Love Hewitt would have done just as good a job as Star. Yeah. She got she, a time it, machine. It, if she could have just, as long as Jennifer Love Hewitt could have pulled off the drowsy look the whole movie. Yeah. Well, Star was Although, very sleepy. Star's hair moved a lot more freely. It so did. I don't know. I mean, right there, maybe you couldn't just replace A with B. It's but. true. It's true. All right. Well, each each in their place, I guess. She was she was she was fine. She was fine in the film. But like nothing. Yeah, there was no make or break moment of it whatsoever. Not a lot was asked of her. No. Yeah. So we cut to Lucy walking along the boardwalk where she sees a woman hanging a missing persons poster for the extremely strong security guard in the earlier scene. Uh, Lucy then attempts to help a lost boy 
I put Lost Boy in quotes there just because, you know. <laughs> and in the process meets Max, played by Edward Herman. Max owns a video store on the boardwalk. And uh, just as the kid's mom shows up to find, you know, this Lost Boy that, that, that brought Lucy into the video store, we also notice David and his crew come into the video store. So there's a lot going on in this scene, a lot of, a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, a decent amount of crossover for sure. And uh, Max has a conversation, a very quick conversation, basically telling them to to bounce. Shades of the of the conversation we saw with the security guard earlier. So now we're thinking like, oh, is Max is the next one going to rip a fucking car door off? <laughs> yeah, he said he 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 almost follows the same same line where he said I something on the lines of I I, I told you not to come in here anymore. Yeah, you know, it's like I, I I warned you to stay off the boardwalk. I told you not to come into my store anymore. We're we're painting the picture of Max, you know, and the the security guard both having the same agenda: keep David and his boys out. Yeah, which is you know it, we'll find out it's a misdirect, but you know they gave it a shot. Uh, David and the homies take off on their dirt bikes. This is you know I think this might be the first time we see that they're on fucking dirt bikes. But you know the, the whole David crew has dirt bikes, and at that point Lucy tells Max she needs a job, which I thought was kind of funny. It's the idea of Diane Weiss trying to get a job at a fucking video store that would definitely be paying her minimum wage. Yeah, it's it, it's borderline pathetic. Yeah, it's a little sad. This is also at, at the same time did was it preceded by you know Mikey asking some random dude at, at like a hot dog stand or something if there's any jobs around too. I don't remember that. So he's looking for work also. Well, he should have gotten a job at the video store, and Diane Weiss should go, you know, get a nice right. office job or something. I don't know how many offices well, there are in Santa Carla, but... I mean, Max had his eye on Diane Weiss, but he kind of had his eye on, on you know, Mikey, too. <laughs> Apparently. I like to think that all vampires are bisexual, but, you know, I digress. So we cut back to Sam and Michael, and after some banter, they split up. Michael continues to stalk Star, and Sam enters a nearby comic book store. Inside the store, Sam meets the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Alan, played by Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander. We learn that Sam is a comic aficionado, and I'm going to say it here, the dialogue in this movie is pretty good. Like, this scene, it, it had that, like spark to it you know but that the call and response aspect of it yeah it was the dialogue was well written here i remember thinking okay this is you know every time i'm about to think like oh this movie might suck and then i get turned around the next scene and this is one of those where it's like okay this this is actually pretty good i'll be honest i couldn't tell if the if the dialogue you know when it came down to analyzing the the placement of comic books was contrived or not i mean it it referenced some DC stuff that was uh, not my wheelhouse. So, but it again, it seemed it seemed a little contrived to me. You know, the <laughs> fact that he's just gonna come across and and you know they're gonna they're gonna basically have a pissing contest between comic book knowledge. Listen, I don't know anything about Red Kryptonite, so you know, I just have to take uh, Sam's word for it. But <laughs> the the dialogue was snappy, even if like the maybe the comic book aspect of it was didn't didn't hit. I, I liked the rhythm of it. I agree with the snappiness. I agree with the rhythm, and I in my mind I felt like that carried through in the film. Um, before rewatching it, upon rewatch, I think that uh, the snappiness was uh, exhibited there and kind of trailed off. <laughs> you might so, be right. in, in in my mind. I remember. Um, you know, Sam and the Frog Brothers 
back and forth. I remember them them carrying a lot heavier weight through the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, when I mean weight, I mean you know heavier heavier load of of actually moving the film along. Yeah, and then back in back in my mind, they were my part of my more favorite aspect of the Lost Boys. Really? Okay. So changed a little bit in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, I again, I think the dialogue is 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 good. Some of the line reads are pretty pretty brutal. Um, I remember liking Corey Haim a lot more than I actually did on this rewatch. I, I was there was some moments where I was like, this fucking guy is hamming it up. Um, and you know, Schumacher obviously yelled cut and print and let him get away with it. But and then. Corey Feldman had some problems uh, off camera here during this time, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you can see it in his performance. He's again thinking that like Stand by Me was right around the same time, and he crushed in that fucking movie. Yeah, and it and maybe it's a blur again. Like I'm I'm crossing the lines between the films and his performances, but I was on the other side of the Corey coin when I you liked you you remember liking Corey Haim more. I remember liking Corey Feldman more. Yeah. Well, neither of, the, neither of them are really very fantastic uh, in this, but you know we're gonna just put up with them for another hour or so here. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 what's with his gruff growl that he's pulling out there? It's just, dude, Schumacher it's, it's told him much. something like uh, that he wanted him to kind of emulate Rambo. That's what what I think happened. All right, yeah. So Sch- Schumacher's to blame for for the good and the bad there. Uh. So the frogs uh, give Sam a comic book about vampires saying the camera could save his life before running after the same punk rockers from the first scene who are now shoplifting. And I'm like, what the fuck are Corey Feldman and and uh, the other guy <laughs> going to do once they catch those grown adults stealing comic books? And, and honestly, it doesn't seem like that would be a motivated steal for them. You know, those that dudes, snatch and, that yeah. snatch and grab didn't seem like it was anything other than a thrill. And those dudes would have fucked those frog brothers up if they caught up to them. Like, I'm sorry. Absolutely. They would have been better off just tipping the table over and you know making a mess in the store <laughs> exactly. and just standing there saying, what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. What are they going to do other than just be gruff? Uh, so we're going to cut back to Star, who's walking with a little kid dressed like a cross between Prince and a Civil War soldier. What the fuck's with that coat? <laughs> <laughs> It was, makes sense yeah. of it for me. I I can't. It was eighties fashion. Um, I remember seeing it in music videos, a similar motif, and so on. I can pull off a few different times where like weird old militaristic uniforms were crisscrossed into eighties uh, rock fashion. So yeah. it was it was that it was just that time, man. It was just that time. Well, unlike. Uh, pump up the volume where it made me feel nostalgic when I saw the the clothes and the fashion and stuff. This I just was laughing a lot. Like what a what a difference three years in a in a in a decade makes. Apparently, but that coat sucks. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Star gets on the back of David's dirt bike, and the kid gets on the back of Dwayne's bike. Yes, I had to look up that guy's name because hmm. I don't think they ever say it in the movie, but his name is Dwayne. Uh, and David gives Michael a big juicy smile before he and his crew take off into the night on their dirt bikes. So, so yeah, the kid's wearing, you know, like you said, the the little soldier boy outfit, and and stars wearing like a peasant dress and a peasant top, and is kind of bohemian. So it's 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 such a 
a mix match of, of fashion choices of the 80s. Well, when we find out that they're like vampires, I think we're sp- I think we're kind of hinting that they're older. You know, like yes, I, I know they don't. But seem they're like not. Timeless. They don't seem timeless vampires. Well, yeah, that's what like... I'm saying. Is they make it very clear that they're not older. Like there's a point where we see the fucking kids face on a milk carton. So right, like we know that that kid's not from like Civil War era, and he just joined yeah, this the crew. This, this isn't an Anne Rice vampire. Yeah, it's know? not like fucking Kirsten Dunst in Interview the Vampire. So right, but they kind of were like hinting at that in these early scenes before you find out more because of the fucking fashion choices. It's strange. It's a strange if choice. Any, if anything, I would have thrown it back to one of them. You know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe David was, you know, from the sixties or some, somebody was, you know, goes back a couple decades, you know, with their, with their Morrison posters and the way they, they kind of stylized their, their layer, which sure. we see later that would have maybe said a decade or two back, but the rest of it, it it didn't seem like the group itself was timeless. Yeah, agreed. We get another death from above scene this time. The uh, unseen force rips the roof of a car off to get to the punk rocker and his girlfriend who are reading the stolen comics. And uh, I think one of the smartest things that this movie did uh, was not actually showing what was attacking people from the sky. Not so much because of the Jaws kind of, you know, mystery of it, but you know, the wings flapping and all that shit implies what's going on, but I feel like the effects would have looked so stupid that it was really smart to just never so, show yeah, it. So yeah, that, that's my question. Do you think it came down to budgetary constraints and that's why they went that direction? Or do you think it was an artistic choice? Like like a, like a, like a Lovecraft where <laughs> you talk about the, you know, the horrors, yeah. but you never see the horror. At the it's end hard it. to say. I mean... There's some moments where it's it's kind of schlocky enough that I think if they thought they could make it look good, they would have shown it. So I, th- I lean towards they didn't think they could pull it off with the money they had, and so they decided to just play this game. Or they or they saved their money to blow their wad on, on the, the ending scenes. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Very possible. They definitely, they definitely blew their wad effects-wise then when it came down to it there. Yeah. 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 You probably that's very possible. So we get another scene of Sam at the comic book store next, talking to the Frog Brothers about vampires, and basically Sam isn't taking them seriously. The scene ends with them giving Sam a comic with their number in the back in case he needs their help. And I'm wondering, is the number written in the back or is it printed in the back of the comic? The way I felt about it after watching it was it was implied that it was printed on it. Like this was their this was their marketing tool for themselves. <laughs> like it's their manual and their marketing tool. Yeah. So I'm, I imagine printed. Yeah. Like I thought it was possible, but I don't think we, have, we don't see it. So it seemed possible, but not practical. Sure. Well, I was, you know, the whole time trying to figure out like who they were in that comic book store. Like I, I think it's implied that their parents maybe own it, but things actually stated at one point. Yeah. It's a, a couple guys working in their parents' comic book store. Yeah. But the the imaginary parents, yeah, we never see the parents, and uh, they seem to be the only employees in there, and they don't really seem to be doing any work except for chasing shoplifters who would fuck them up. True, but they also seem to be able to get out of work anytime they want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, it's another night on the boardwalk, and uh, Michael finally gets to chat up Star. He's about to give her a ride on his dirt bike when David and the homies show up. David uses mind kung fu to draw Star away from Michael. Looks a lot like star <laughs> star 
Yeah. And then it's, he it's uh, kind of the 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 reprimanding coaxing star. And then he tells Michael to keep up. And I'm thinking, what a coincidence that everybody involved here has dirt bikes. Because if if he didn't have a dirt bike, what are they going to do? Yeah. Where, where's this movie go? It's, yeah. a, it's a plot device. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, w- I wanted a dirt bike when I was a kid. And then, you know, I got a little older and I was like, nah, I don't know, it seems like a lot of work, a lot of upkeep. <laughs> it's all about the cleaning up. Yeah. We get a pretty inter- intense dirt bike chase scene across the beach and then through some foggy woods here. Uh, and it ends with Michael eating shit, trying to avoid going off a cliff. And he gets up and he punches David in the face before declaring, just you. <laughs> and I love just you. It's repeated. I just love you. It. Just, just you. you. I'm going to drop that in right here. So enjoy just you. Just you. Come on. Just you. Just you. <laughs> oh, David. It's great. Just you. Just you. You think he, it's like maybe he wants to fight, but also maybe he wants to fuck. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a fight, Lou. Yeah. Pretty sure. <laughs> Sometimes I confuse the two. I feel like I feel like Jamie Gertz was uh, the, the intention of, of his lust. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe Kiefer. maybe thou doth protest too much. And by thou, I mean Michael. You. <laughs> yeah, I mean me. Listen, I want to fuck Kiefer Sutherland and Jamie Gertz and Michael Stewart and... <laughs> and Patrick Stewart and Patrick. Jason Patrick. <laughs> yeah, and... all of them. All of them. Put them all in the, in the bad night, man. <laughs> Just line a train up, Lou. <laughs> like a circus seal. <laughs> Daisy chain. Yeah. So uh, instead of fighting Michael, David leads him to their underground lair, which is a cave in the ocean cliff. Uh, he tells him that it was like a resort back in the day, and it got hit by a, a an earthquake. earthquake and sunk into the ground. And there's also a huge Jim Morrison poster on the cave wall, which you mentioned earlier, and it's a bit on the nose for me in this viewing. I actually think I laughed when I saw it. <laughs> well, it certainly wasn't from the resort. Somebody definitely imported that into the room. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it so fell in with, purpose- with the earthquake. It's- it fell in. <laughs> Exactly. It's 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 clearly purposeful art direction of the set. So yeah. let's give it that feel. They couldn't get the Doors song by the Doors in the in the in the movie, so they just put that motherfucker on so the wall. Do you do you think that was that they, they couldn't get the Doors no, version? I don't, no, because I, don't know. I feel like that was an '80s thing. You know that that or a thing that started in the '80s to redo. You know, uh, famous songs for movies. I it's feel like po- it was yeah, done, it's possible done ad nauseum at some point. You know, from the mid eighties onwards, it's possible they thought it was going to make it like an edgier choice than actually using the Doors song would have been. But now, looking back, it would have been way edgier to actually just use the Doors song. So I don't know mm, for sure. Uh, but yeah, Marco, otherwise known as Bill S. Preston Esquire, leaves the cave to get food, and David shares the joint with Michael. We cut then to Sam and Lucy conversing in Sam's room, and it's here that I started to notice the decorations on Sam's wall. <laughs> so first there's a huge poster of Molly Ringwald from The Breakfast Club. Because we have to have The Breakfast Club in here at some yeah. point. And it's a huge, huge Molly Ringwald, like probably five or six feet. 
it's it's so big that it's actually brought in as as part of a copyright credit at the end of the, the film. <laughs> so awesome. if you watch the end of the film, it's it, it's got its own special line in the credits, the Molly Ringwald photo. <laughs> That's fantastic. Then there's a Reform School Girls poster, which I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's fucking terrible and inappropriate as fuck. And like you know. You know a movie like Revenge of the Nerds, you're like, ooh, that's a lot rapier than I remember when I saw it, you know, back in the day. Like, Reform School Girls is, like, so rapey. Yeah. Like, it's so wrong. But, yeah. I, that's I, I, I've, I've seen the film late at night at a friend's house while a party was going on. It was – there was a – there was a – um tradition of throwing on some shit B movies and stuff sometimes in the background and that was I believe when I saw was there a tradition of everybody falling asleep except for you and then when nobody's <laughs> looking <laughs> no no but there that was tradition definitely... was around when I was that age yeah no the uh <laughs> I, I think I think it was more about being passed out drunk while I was sober there you go even more re- reason for you to rub one out <laughs> no, that's I, I'm again. I'm I'm projecting. I think. Uh, and then the last piece of uh, art in Sam's room that stood out to me was a very very sexy Rob Lowe poster on the closet door, and I'm thinking Sam might be at least by curious at this point. Well, if it also could be uh, it could be Joel's choice there. Uh, it doesn't wasn't wasn't he in uh, Saint Elmo's <laughs> Fire? Yes, it's absolutely so, the reason. This just could be you know a. a continuing uh yeah ode to to rob Lowe, you know, it as, is as, and as beefcake listen i'm never going to tell you to take the rob Lowe poster off the wall i'm just saying it's a it's a weird choice for a teenage boy it to is 100 percent a weird choice but <laughs> like, but then again you know Corey Haim's not your typical teenager this is true this is true uh back to david's cave and everyone is enjoying <laughs> it would have been worse if it was charlie sheen <laughs> Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> Think about how close it probably could have been to oh, being. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like two skips and a jump, and it's Charlie Sheen on that fucking poster, <laughs> and they have to, like, not... Sh- oh. They would have to, like, pull this movie off shelves, I think, at that point. That's oh, two on the nose. CGI, CGI in Rob Lowe exactly, over it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Holy shit, that's... That's aggressive. I'm, we're not going to go into details on why. If you don't know why that's fucked up, like, I guess it's, do some It's fucking, easy to find. Yeah, do some Googling, I guess, but maybe just don't. Uh, <laughs> just you, don't do you're, you're, if you don't know, you're happier not knowing. Yeah, I'm going to try to sidestep that conversation as much as I can during this episode. I mean, we're going we're gonna to make our comments and, and have our uncomfortable giggles, I guess, but... You know, that's going to be the end of that. (laughs) We don't need to go down that road road today. (laughs) Where was I? Back at David's cave, everyone is is enjoying uh, some Chinese food. And uh, David offers Michael some rice. And when Michael declines, David says, You don't like rice? Tell me, Michael, how could a billion Chinese people be wrong? (laughs) That billion Chinese people line stuck with me as a kid for some reason. Did it? Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. I completely forgotten it. Does it is it strike you as racist that line? I can formulate an argument for racism in it, sure, or not for racism, but <laughs> claiming it as racism. So you're yes. going to argue on the side of racism, is what you're saying? I I could. Do I? I don't feel it's necessary to do so. Yeah. 
that what stuck with me obviously was the following visual. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, the wine was irrelevant to me at that point. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, what he's talking about is when you know David gives Michael the rice and he starts eating it. Then you know he then tells Michael it's maggots. You're eating maggots. And then Michael looks down and he's eating maggots. And then he drops the rice and it's actually rice. And we're playing mind games. Basically, the vampires have the ability to make, or at least David does, has the ability to make people see whatever they're. I think it's. You know, I think it's implying the power of suggestion. Yeah. That's what yeah. it is. So, I mean, it's a cool scene, and it it is a very, very memorable scene. In Stuck fact, with me. Yeah, this would be, you know, probably. Other than the fucking oiled up saxophonist scene, this is probably the <laughs> other standout to me, uh, memory wise. So. Yeah, and these, these, you know, these Chinese takeout boxes seeing, seeing maggots crawling all over each other. Sure, it's gross. Yeah. Here's another question for you. Who the fuck eats plain white rice on its own with no, like, other items? Like Somebody who's hungry. Like, you hand somebody a, a thing <laughs> just of had rice. A dirt bike. Somebody who's hungry that just had a dirt bike ride to the edge of a cliff. I guess he's, like, carb loading for the impending exactly. orgy, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but that's weird to me. Eating, I've eaten plain white rice when I was on, like, a se- severe diet trying to, like, get abs, but never for fun. Uh, I, I would think that... In in a in a weird surrounding with a bunch of people that you really don't know if you want to be with, if somebody handed you something and said eat up, you know, I if you gave me a container of rice, I probably would eat it just to appease the crowd. <laughs> All right. So All there, right. I've answered your question. Who would eat white rice? Me, Dan. Dan will <laughs> try try not to rice. rock the boat. Right now, just you want to fit in. If someone, <laughs> the, you'll eat white rice, but you wouldn't have fucking taken a puff off that joint. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's where you draw the line. You'll eat yeah, white I rice, mean, but I w- not puff the joint. I would have asked if there were any crab rangoon, but you know, <laughs> I didn't see any there. I saw <laughs> noodles and uh, rice. So you got, you got some soy sauce packets. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. See, I could eat maybe white rice with soy sauce, but not plain white rice. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and just say it. A billion Chinese people can be wrong if that's what if that's what's right. <laughs> you know, but. You, you eat what you can afford, Lou. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, you're not wrong. After dinner, Michael drinks out of an ornate wine bottle, much to star, uh, Star's chagrin. She tells him what it's about blood. The huh? What about the worms? I, I mentioned worms, didn't I? No. Noodles, worms. They they play the same game with the noodles. Exactly. And they <laughs> writhe. They writhe, and then they're not noodles, and then they're worms. Michael they're thinks he's worms. going crazy. So here's a question for you. We see Michael drink out of this ornate wine bottle and Star tells him that it's blood, but we can see clearly it's not blood. But do you think that we're seeing what Michael's seeing and Michael's seeing the rice version of the maggots? Yep. That's what I think. Because that's actually kind of clever. I think, again, power suggestion. I think that it was – I think that's what set that whole moment up, actually, is yeah. that you, the, the two containers, the two carryout containers – flip-flopping between, you know, grubs and, and fucking earthworms allowed them, you know, or allowed the setup of a bottle of blood to appear as wine. Well, that's clever, and I will give the writers slash directors some credit on that one because I like that. I mean, fingers crossed that that's, you know, what they were going for. Sure, <laughs> sure. Maybe yeah, we're making more out of it now. than it was, but listen, he'll he'll take the W. <laughs> you, you lost boy apologist. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, the drink's part of the initiation into this group, it seems, where owning a dirt bike and being young are seemingly the only requirements. 
the next scene and, the crew and, dangle and being from... attracted to jamie gertz yeah i mean she's attractive right mm-hmm. she is we could agree right okay mm-hmm. in the next scene the crew dangle from beneath a bridge while a train passes overhead and each drops into the fog beneath one by one until finally unable to hold on any longer michael too falls into the fog or into his bed well yeah into his bed but into the fog i don't know this is a cool scene i like this scene do you like this scene? it is i like this scene too and i liked how it was it was ambiguous what what reality was at that point because as as i said once michael lets go he falls but he only falls to awaken on his mattress in in his clothes and whether or not it's like he's waking up from a dream or he imagined this moment or he lived the fall from the bridge and doesn't remember how he got to his bed. It's, it's any of those. Yeah. It's well, it's well conceived. I like it. It's effective. And yeah, the ambiguity is, is, is enough to let you think about it. Yeah. And uh, a fun fact for you, the place where they filmed that bridge scene is about five miles from the high school where they filmed Pump Up the Volume. So Ba-boom. weird as that is, because it's nowhere near Santa Cruz where they filmed everything else. But yeah, that that cool. bridge apparently is a, a spot people go to to check out. And you can see Six Flags uh, Magic Mountain from that spot, from that bridge. Huh. Yeah. See, I think, and, and again, I might have been drawing a parallel with the train tracks and... You know, just the the time frame and Stand by Me and Keith uh, Sutherland, it, yeah, yeah. It all kind of there's 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 kind of a a thread going on of, of interconnectivity in my mind. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm with you. So as you mentioned, Michael wakes up the next morning in his bed, and uh, all I could focus on there was his dirty shoe touching his pillow. I, I mean, you know, a little OCD <laughs> moment for me there. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, He seems to be hungover, and as he talks to Lucy on the phone, um, Lucy's now working at the video store, which, you know, we've already commented on that, and he asks Michael to watch Sam while she goes out on a date later. Did I say he asks? Did I just call Lucy he? I apologize, Diane Weiss. You're not a he. Unless you you are. I mean, whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean, she's got that short haircut, but it could go, you know. It worked for her. Careful. Um, I mean... I think something that bothered me though here is like how they're playing, you know, fast and loose with the timeline here. It's it seems that like, like you said, she's working at the video store, but she seems to be full bore. There was, <laughs> there was yeah. never anything like, all right, here's the register. Here's you know, it, it's literally. It seems like this is happening over the course of like three days of like the movie timeline, and she's not only got the job, you know, she's she knows her way around a video store. We don't know what her life was in Phoenix, but she definitely knows the way around. You know, her her family video mock, you know, Hollywood rental video. facility. Oh, yeah, I mean, as well as now has a date with the owner of the store. Yeah. So seems like a conflict of interest. Well, here's the other thing, right? Yes, and no. It's 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 a it's a you know, it's a one man operation. Sure. There's a there's some moments where she'll make comments like, you know, you sleep all day and you're never home at night. And Correct. you're like, wait, like, I feel like he was only out one night. So, yeah, there's yeah, they're playing it the fast and loose with the timeline. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I didn't like that part of it. Like I, I I I'm fully in favor of moving, you know, the using using different devices to move time long in a film. I, I, I get it. I know it's necessary. But this one, it just seemed like there was. The, the timeline was just kind of 
just I mean, really it shittily was, it was hard, hard to identify how much time was supposed to have been passing. Yeah, for I sure. Agree. And that bothered so, me in the film. Yeah. Well, that night, or maybe a different night, because we don't really know when, uh, we get a weird scene where Grandpa puts on Windex's aftershave for his date with, quote, the Widow Johnson, which made me laugh. He's and, uh Yeah, and we hear Grandpa's fucking crazy horn as he leaves. <laughs> it's, it's like a bad luck cucaracha. Yeah, I'm going to drop it in here for everybody to hear. So enjoy the sound of Grandpa's horn. Suddenly the sound of dirt bikes and the flash of headlights erupt outside, as well as David repeating Michael's name. This this lasts for like a, a minute or so. And then, you know, as Michael and Sam freak out, just like that, it's quiet. Everything, everything's gone. Michael. Nobody's out there. Michael. 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 Star. <laughs> Thou shall not kill. Uh, so, yeah, later, we don't know how much later, but later, while Sam takes a bath upstairs, Michael begins his transformation into a vampire, starting with stomach cramps uh, and then followed by what seems to be a desire to possibly hurt Sam. This just seems like heroin uh, withdrawal to me. Kind of, yeah. You know, lots of retching and then... Next thing you know, he's up the stairs, and luckily Nanook the dog attacks Michael, snapping snapping him out of out of his fugue state. Um, and before we move on, his fugue or his fugue? His fugue state. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that uneditable, so everybody enjoy my uh, <laughs> buffoonery. Ah, oh, yes. No, I want to talk about Corey Haim taking a fucking bubble bath and singing Again, like that. You, there's some weird choices with Corey Haim in this film, and. It, it starts with, like you said, his wardrobe is a little off. Um, his, like, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, you know, let's let's put me in a tub routine here is a little... <laughs> like putting bubbles on his head and shit like I he's nine. Yeah, man. Like, it, it's, it, I, my son, being eight years old, it's that his bath is is on par with Corey Haim's bath right here, you know? Yeah, I, I suspect that this scene was like a, a carryover from the original script where the kids were younger and they just left it in because it, it needed to go this way. But, yeah, it's super weird. It kind of creeped me out, if I'm being honest. Yeah, but, it, I mean, it, it could have been completely supplanted by, you know, him, you know, standing in a shower. Sure. Or, you know, <laughs> steam coming up or whatever. It... it and, and on top of it, like, if at what point was was the rewrite was was there already principal film filming? Done, I don't think so. I think because, it was rewritten before anybody was even yeah, cast. I just I don't know. They, maybe maybe it was Corey's choice. Hey, I want to I want to take a bath. Put me in a bubble bath. <laughs> I want to sing a song in the bubble bath. Yeah, and rock out. <laughs> Poor Corey Haim. But I wanted to be not of this. You know, I wanted to be kind of rockabilly. Yeah, you know, I want to sing a song from the fifties. You know, like, yeah, well, that, is, that seems dumb. Whatever the case, uh, after the attack, Sam notices Michael's reflection in the mirror is translucent and immediately freaks out. Sam calls the Frog Brothers to tell them that Michael's a vampire, and I'm like, damn, Sam was quick to sell his brother down the river here. Oh, yeah, no, and, and he, was sick, he was quick to sell him down the river, but he was also really quick to buy into the, you know, the legitimacy of these two guys, like they're like, where, where are their credentials? <laughs> like where, <laughs> why, why? I mean, obviously the fact that they're, they're, they're of the same age, you know, or, or roughly, um, I can see them, you know, him sympathizing 
with them and there there being some sort of bonding just based on the fact that like here's two guys that talked to me at a town I just moved to but he literally like you said he he takes his brother and he just drops him like a hot potato to to like call these guys to like come stake him I mean, stab you know, my brother yes and no <laughs> right and when it becomes more real when they when they tell him to kill him uh, in the other room, Michael wakes up to find that he's floating against the ceiling, which I kind of enjoyed this whole thing where he's like stuck to the ceiling, like uncomfortably so. Yeah, like he's it, it, he had no choice in the matter. He just was drifting upwards like a helium balloon. Uh-huh. It was it, it kind of reminded me of like a, a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory type of thing. Yeah, with the fucking fan, the fizzy lifting mm-hmm. drinks. Yep, yeah, exactly. That's where I went. Yeah. Well, so Michael proceeds to fumble about while trying to navigate flight, ending up somehow outside Sam's room, which is on the second floor. So he's floating outside Sam's window. And uh, at the same time, Sam is like on the phone with their mom, who's at the video store working, basically screaming and trying to like tell her to come and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's it's actually a pretty good scene. Uh I'll I actually I, I I found it entertaining. I laughed a little bit at that. Like I found that part of the, you know, the 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 comedy dig. Yeah. I, I worked for me. Yeah, and still, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Thirty plus years later, I'm with you. So eventually, Sam helps Michael into his room and agrees to keep Michael's transformation a secret from Lucy. Which you know, it's I I think I think that uh, Jason Patrick is is goes a long way here. I think his performance here is is part of what makes this all work for me. You think so? Yeah, I don't know something about his like his kind of the, the rasp and the way he's like he seems really fucking like fucked up. You know, like he he seems sympathetic. Like you kind of feel for or him. yeah, you feel for him. Be, I I don't know if he seems sympathetic. I I think he seems kind of pathetic, and that's why you know you you're like uh, you, you kind of feel this poor guy. You know, yeah. He obviously he's he's unwilling in this whole transformation. He didn't know this it was coming whatsoever. This isn't something he was looking for, and it's a little sad. Yeah. So I think that's where you you build up your your sympathy for him because he's pathetic. Yeah. Like. I, I could go with that. Uh, so Diane Weiss is not thrilled about them ruining her date when she gets home, and we get a fun little drop-in, like I said, of the Civil War-era kid uh, picture on the back of the milk carton that Michael dropped when he got the stomach cramps. So a little wink and a nod yeah, it, there. It, it, it's kind of a weird zoom-in on. Yeah. Does it's it, hard to miss. It's not a hard zoom, but... yeah, you don't, it, you don't, you don't, You're not supposed to catch it. You, you definitely want to see it. They, they don't hide it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like they just raised it up and said, clue. <laughs> exactly. Basically, that's the moment where I'm like, oh, that kid's not from the Civil War era. He's just a fucking kid. They put in a, a weird jacket. Yeah, just a casualty, casualty of 80s fashion. Yeah. Later, Michael returns to uh, David's cave to try to get answers, but Star is there, so he gets laid instead. And it is not a gratuitous Bravo. sex scene. There's really no, uh, there's no nipple. There's no pubes. There's... I, Maybe the hint of an ass crack. It's all like artfully done. <laughs> and don't we get another reappearance of the uh, the theme music? Yeah, I believe so. That's <laughs> when I when I read that description, I heard that fucking thou shall yep. not in my head. So probably it's, it's very prevalent in yeah, the they, film. They fucked to that song, which is kind of weird, but you know, whatever. Jamie Gertz. Yeah. Then there's a scene of Michael and Lucy having a heart-to-heart, but I was so distracted by how loud Michael's leather jacket was in this scene that I can't remember what they said. Because <laughs> it sounded like he was crinkle, wearing a diaper. Crinkle, yeah, it was like... <laughs> like every time he moved. <laughs> Did you catch that too? 
Uh, I mean, it's there. It's for. It's there for sure. Oh, it was I, I loud. I mean, you know, you've made me lose track of what the conversation <laughs> was because now I can't unhear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this where we don't don't we get the sunglasses in full effect starting yes. here too? Yes. Yes. Because yeah. she tells she the has iconic, to take the sunglasses off. Yeah. Yeah. These these are now the iconic sunglasses from the Lost Boys featured on the poster art yeah. featured on my t-shirt it's not a bad <laughs> and, scene and, and burned into my mind yeah it's not a bad scene it's just the fucking that jacket was so loud dude so loud but again the it, you know we'll look at the timeline here you know it's I, I i i'm not sure i can never tell if this is this is two weeks in or if this is you know literally 72 hours in from them yeah. moving from phoenix no idea one thing I do know is that when Michael walks into the kitchen right after that scene, the shirt that Sam is wearing is fucking bananas. It's like <laughs> it's covered in multicolored childlike drawings of stick figures, and it looks more like a blouse cut than a shirt. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> so, so you mentioned like those stick figures and stuff. There's there was there's a there was a graffiti pop artist that that was that was his. Like he was known for that, and that that art style was very reflected on that. Okay, so that part of it was more acceptable to me than the the fact that, like you said, it was it was kind of like a blouse. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can even pinpoint you who the artist was just for fucking point of reference. Um, Keith Haring. Really? Keith okay. Haring. Yeah, that sounds yeah. familiar. I mean, like just just as a kind of can't tell. Yeah, 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 kind of. But if you look at the picture of that, I know what you're saying. It's it's It's, weird, dude. It's it's, a weird shirt. It's but what I'm saying is that like that style somehow hip hop art. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah, I'm sure that that's like the Marshalls version. Like when you buy a shitty shirt at Marshalls or something, (laughs) where it's like this is inspired by what's cool and popular. Like these aren't Lululemon pants, but they're kind of like that. We're you we're gonna we're not gonna use Omega on it. We're going to <laughs> use Kappa. Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, yeah. whatever the case, I would wear that shirt if I could have that right now. It'd be <laughs> awesome if you were wearing your fucking Lost Boys shirt and I was wearing the shirt Sam was wearing in this scene. <laughs> I would love it. Oh, if I thought oh, of it. Oh I would love it, you know. But it, it I also like I get like a Bobby McFerrin vibe off that shirt. I yeah, I get I could see that. It kind of looked like a scrub shirt a little too, like the material. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird choice. Yeah, everybody yeah. go look at it. <laughs> I don't know how, but somehow go go fucking well, buy that shit. I got an idea. Put we'll put the uh, we'll put a screen cap up on the uh, the Instagram page. All right, I'll do that. I'll I'll fi- I'll I'll make you that can, happen. You can you can make that pay, like photo too on the the episode title one. Just can, swipe left. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, good call. I'll do that. Hopefully I'll remember to do that when it comes time. <laughs> well, here it's in your when you go back and edit this motherfucker, it'll be right there to remind your ass. Oh man, you you would hope that that those things would connect, but <laughs> <laughs> I've had some weird experiences with edibles, Dan. I don't know oh, what else to say. God. Well, just think about the fact that I'm going to fucking solder your balls to your leg if you don't do it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Lucy goes to Max's house to drop off some wine as an apology for running out on their date uh, in the earlier scene, which could have happened a week ago or could have happened two hours ago. But she's chased and almost attacked by Max's dog, who was his name like Thor or something like that. Uh, uh, that sounds 
Thorn. Thorn. Yeah. So yeah. he's got a dog. And there is a quick scene that I forgot to write down here, but there's a scene where like a bat, a kite flies out of the sky and lands on Max's porch or something. And he sees it and he looks up and there's those like flapping sounds. And yep. I think you're supposed to assume that like here comes David and his crew to, to like rip the, the door off. Exact, of, yeah. Exact you know. revenge upon him kicking him out of the video. Yeah. Story. And then the next 16 weeks back. Exactly. Or the, six hours ago. Yeah. And then the next like scene or two later we get the scene of lucy going to his house and the dog like chasing her away so we don't know if sam or if uh if max is alive right it could that's the whole thing like you know thorn could have been protecting the fact that you know here lies his master you know yeah. dead but Ooh, here's the have... here's the thing and we're gonna we're gonna come up with this in a minute though they're doing a lot here to try to convince us that max is a victim of David and his crew and like they're, they're deflecting pretty severely at this point. And the reason why that this is interesting to me is because Sam goes to see the frog brothers after the the dog almost uh, attacks Lucy and they make a really quick jump to Max being the head vampire. Like there's like no preamble. It's like, they just go from like, Hey, he doesn't ever come out at night and he's (laughs) around your mom. He must be the mom's new boyfriend and and boss. Yeah, exactly. And And you know, he's got three days. Like they did all this work to try to make us feel like Max isn't the guy only to have Sam, like call him out as the guy immediately. Yeah. It's like red herring or red, red herring. Or what would you, what would, what would you call a red herring? That's not a red herring, but that's meant to be a red herring. And it, it turns out to not be a red herring. Uh, you know? Weird, yeah. Weird script writing is what it's that all is over to the me. place on that. Yeah, I could. But you're right. It is. It is a jump. And on the fact that, like, okay, so from from perspective, the video shop is on the boardwalk. The comic book shop is on the boardwalk. I think at some point these guys would have fucking rented a video. You know, so yeah. like they wouldn't. They they would have probably had more exposure to Max than than anyone else, knowing that they fucking have lived here long enough. You know to have an established comic book store that people are going to snatch and grab from on the boardwalk <laughs> versus versus Sam jumping to conclusions about Lucy's new boyfriend. I I don't know, man. Like yeah. you said, it's a stretch. It's a fucking stretch. It's just seemed weird if they were going to have him do that to like paint all of these scenes of us thinking he's like a victim or something. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Well, and then again, back back to the the statement like I I think the Frog Brothers the fact that they seem to not know who Max was, uh, it makes me feel like was this this boardwalk like you know three three mile stretch or right. like, I don't I don't know man they again I feel like they would have they would have crossed paths at some point you would imagine both being vendors on the on the boardwalk yeah you would think maybe Max would know their parents absolutely <laughs> anyway that night Lucy invites Max over for dinner and Sam invites the frog brothers and during dinner they perform some very obvious tests to try to prove Max is a head vampire and these tests are pretty ridiculous like this is borderline slapstick stuff going on here for sure and and again if we're going to maybe work off your theory about the script and the rewrite and everything maybe this was again not heavily rewritten yeah. from the earlier Goonies uh, tinged yeah. script. Mm-hmm. It it follows a lot of the the vampire mythology of what the rules are. I mean, garlic is heavily involved. Um, you know, there's you know we we talk about uh, you know the I think they mentioned holy water. Yeah, and and then they they. Throw, they definitely shove a, a shaving mirror in his face, you know. So it's like, right. 
as you say, it's it's very slapstick. It's not a very grounded scene. Although earlier <laughs> on, there, the foreshadowing when when uh, he he says to to Michael, "You're the man of the house." I guess it's up to you to invite me in. I'm not, or I'm not coming in until you invite me in. Foreshadows the fact that we should start thinking that he could be a vampire. Yeah. Well, despite all that, uh, their tests all fail, but he leaves abruptly. And uh, in the background, we see a shot of Grandpa looking suspicious and then closing the door. So he seems sure. to have a bad vibe uh, from from Max. Yeah, and and I guess they tried to make it ambiguous that the that grandpa could be looking at Sam's behavior as like, why is he acting so, so ridiculous? Yeah, yeah it could be. Or but, but. is it, I don't approve of this guy dating my daughter. Nonetheless, I, I want to, I want to call out though, that we've now seen Max have a reflection and swallow like what could probably be the equivalent of like 14 cloves of garlic. <laughs> and you know like like we said he he passes he passes these these vampire tests with flying colors for the most part. Yeah, we're going to we're going to so, talk about that later, I think. Yeah, that's I I want to mark this. Yes. Uh Meanwhile, Michael has tracked down the vampire crew, and they stalk a group of punk rockers hanging out at a bonfire while listening to Walk This Way by Aerosmith. Uh and run DMC, and that's fucking weird. It's, it is weird because I think you called out in your notes at some point that they're referred to as surf Nazis. Yeah, in the uh, in the credits, this these punk rockers are called surf Nazis, and yet here they are fucking dancing around a bonfire to Aerosmith slash Run DMC, uh, walk this way, and no, I don't think so. Yeah, there's there's clearly a lot more choices that could have been used for. For surf Nazis, sure, <laughs> coming out of the '80s in California, yeah, there's there's hundreds of different ways they could have gone on this, and then they just chose to something that was marketable at the time. Yeah, it's a bullshit choice. Um, unlike the choice to put all the vampires perched in a fucking tree, which struck me as comical. <laughs> what you know? So yeah, it's comical, but at the same time too, like they're working what should be in the darkness, but yet the bonfire is reflecting upon the tree and everything. It's it's they may as well have just been lit up on a spotlight because right. they were lit up like a Christmas tree. It was bizarre. They look like ornaments. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, their eyes are glittering. I mean, it's there was nothing covert about it other than they're in a fucking tree with no leaves. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those one of those California like kind of desert trees right. that I, I wish I I wish I could, you know, call out a name for that, but it was like it's yeah, I mean, it's they're they're definitely just hanging on tree branches that are long and vertical. Yeah, somebody thought that that would be a cool shot and it is not quite as cool as I think they thought it was going to be. For me, I see I see the imagery of the fire reflecting upon him, but it doesn't make anything secretive, covert, or or hidden. Yeah, it it, it does the exact opposite. Yeah, and then uh, this is the first time we get to see everybody all vamped out with the fangs and the like bulging kind of bone structure on their face. We get to see what the vampires actually look like in this scene uh, before they attack, and you know it's a bunch of like quick cuts and blood splatters and screaming and you know Aerosmith. Um, <laughs> glowing eyes fangs and yeah. Aerosmith and run DMC exactly you know all those it's like peanut butter and chocolate man you can't have one without the other but uh, 
yeah, and I don't. I'm not referring to Run DMC as chocolate, by the way, right there. That's that's not what I meant. In case you're you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I might have to cut. I might have to cut that one out. Uh, after the attack, David lays it out for Michael. He'll never grow old. He'll never die. But he must feed. You know, you know who they are, and you know who you are. Yeah. So, I I really like Kiefer Sutherland in this movie. So. Okay, only because you threw it out right now. I was going to wait until my analysis and review, but Kiefer Sutherland is, to me, the redeeming value piece of this film. Yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoy him. I mean, I enjoy him in pretty much everything, but, yeah, he keeps He's one it. of those guys where I'm, I, I'm glad to see the legacy of, you know powerful acting continues you know you've donald sutherland the Kiefer sutherland I, yeah. I i enjoy that you know it's not so much with martin sheen on down but you know <laughs> emilio's got some it's got some hits yeah mighty ducks man <laughs> <laughs> oh shit i digress <laughs> and, then, um, and then you know double down on mighty ducks two and then, uh, come on we keep going with three uh, mm-hmm. So back at the house now, Sam asks Michael if he knows who the head vampire is, and during the conversation, Star and Civil War era Prince Kid show up outside Sam's window. What's his name, Laddie? I think it's Laddie, yeah. With the fucking, like, yeah, that's that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, I don't think he has any actual lines other than growling, either. I, th- uh, I think he calls to her at the end. Yeah, maybe. Whatever. Definitely growls. So, uh, yeah, Star explains that Michael was supposed to be her first kill, but since he had a dirt bike, they decided to bring him into the fold. <laughs> uh, that's not really what happens. but <laughs> It's a dirt bike, but he's uh, not going to be able to keep up, man. Can't, <laughs> exactly. can't compete with his bike. I can't compete with your bike, man. Uh, <laughs> Star says she wants Michael's help, and then he laughs, and uh, then her and the, the, the kid bail. So, yeah. So- Here's and again, like vampires obviously don't change clothes, so yeah, no, they don't. They're always wearing the same thing. He's always yeah. in that fucking jacket. So again, you know how much time has passed. <laughs> we have I mean, no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would think that if these guys are a fixture on the boardwalk uh, slash amusement park ish place, I mean, I don't know, man. It's it just doesn't seem realistic. I I feel like if you live in forever, you got to have a change of clothes. Maybe it's like their skin. Like when they turn to a vampire, <laughs> they no longer have skin. It's just whatever their clothes so, were. So, so you're posturing that because they have to turn into a bat and fly around, or a bat-like creature. <laughs> we never see them do that. Though. Their clothes transform with them. Okay. We, we never see. I mean, we hear the wing flap, but we never actually yeah. see them change. Maybe no, you there's don't like see them flying. You see, you're, everything is implied with it. Other than like the floating stuff of Michael, and then the last scene where him and uh, David are kind of flying around a bit. But we'll get to that. Yeah, but but Michael changes his clothes. He does well, maybe because he hasn't made a kill yet. But go. then that once doesn't you, explain why you... Star doesn't change her clothes because she hasn't made her kill yet. So yeah, well, We're I think it's poking just... a lot of holes in this movie, Dan. Yeah, I th- I I think maybe just. A, you know, assuming that she's she's a runaway or something, and only she owns pack, one. She didn't she didn't pack a lot of bags. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I guess they you, can afford that fucking Jim Morrison print. Exactly. Well, what I'm thinking is like, anytime you have vampires that are super old, like the conceit is that they're also wealthy because they've acquired wealth and they don't have right. morals to they keep them from like these, killing and stealing or whatever. They can play the long game financially. Yeah, exactly. So like, you'd think like David could buy her a second peasant girl outfit if he wanted to. 
Yeah. Maybe she has like 15 of that same outfit. It's possible. Maybe we just didn't look closely enough. And Maybe. one is one's more burgundy than the other. Who knows? They're threading. Yeah. So uh, the next day, Michael, Sam, and the frogs head to David's cave to smash some vampire ass. The frogs uh, find the vampires hanging from the ceiling in a cave deeper in the system asleep. And uh, this is the moment where Dan just could not get enough of Bill S. <laughs> Preston Esquire's upside down hanging mullet. Oh my god! So because here's the thing, man. Because I mean, his 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 perm doesn't move, but yet you've got these these like Goldilocks <laughs> fucking extensions. Yeah, it's extensions, now hanging right? absolutely the opposite of it. Yeah, you it's, know, and it's and it's. It's so ridiculous. It's madness. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's it's literally fucking Rapunzel wet on your hair, man. <laughs> they're fucking wavy, they're fucking cramped. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're they're every eighties they're every eighties fashion you could do to I mean, they're fucking probably Aquanet on the uh-huh. perm. Yeah, it's that I thing mean, when you come out of the shower and and you spray your hair real quick and so it's crispy looking, but it stays yeah, that's, wet. That's the Aquanet, man. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, they, they stake his ass, and uh, he wakes up screaming and bleeding uh, glitter all over them. Just Dude. massive amounts of glitter. Alex Winter's hair just fucking punched a hole right through the ozone layer just for this movie alone. <laughs> That's where all the glitter came from. Came through the <laughs> hole that he punched in the ozone layer. Yes. So the rest of the vampires all wake up, and Sam and the frogs narrowly escape, getting into the sunlight before David can stop them. I, Do you notice he has he has three cronies, right? Yeah, David has three cronies for the most yeah, part. Yeah, Dwayne, not, not including he's got Dwayne, Paul, and Marco. Right. So Dwayne and Paul, I they have like zero lines. They're very deep sleepers. They have, but I'm saying they have zero lines in the film. No, I mean, well, There's they very they, they have like dialogue. two or three. Yeah, it's very. How would you How would you like to like find out you are you're going to have that much screen time and yet say like <laughs> yeah or something along those lines? Right. You know, like. Keep up all the all their all their big li- <laughs> all their big lines are during the finale, like when they're right before they, they die, right? Yeah. But I mean, how that's kind of disappointing, I would think. Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean the the vampires don't have much dialogue. They may as well have just been male models. Yeah, they. I mean, had they done that? Well, you know the guy that plays uh, Dwayne, the dark haired one. Mm-hmm. His the actor's name is Billy Worth, and the way that I recognize him is that he was on an episode of American Gladiators as the contestant, and he won. He was, like, the first time I saw a <laughs> contestant win the show. Dun, you know, dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Like, he was on that fucking show. <laughs> I remember watching that episode in, like, the mid-'90s, oh, and Billy Worth, man. the reason I know his name is because he was the fucking contestant that beat the Gladiators. So he went from the Lost Boys to the American Gladiators as a contestant. I believe he w- he was like from the Lost Boys. He was like a martial arts actor guy, like one of those kind of action okay. guys that did B movies and shit. And then he got on American Gladiators probably from that, like being sort so of maybe noteworthy. he was like a former stuntman or something. Yeah, you know, probably to show something that he like had that. like athletic uh, abilities. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, okay. Interesting. But yeah, no lines. Very, no, very, no lines. And I mean, the only reason of. I know his name is Dwayne is because I looked that shit up because no one right. ever says it. So I think that they mentioned Paul and I know for sure that they mentioned There's Marco. Marco. Yeah, so like two but, or three times, like yeah. go get the food and shit like that. Yeah. Go get your hair did. <laughs> <laughs> go to the pharmacy and pick up a fucking, some more hair product. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to David in the cave. Pass the, pass the crimping iron, Marco. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, listen, someone's got to 
pass the crimping iron. <laughs> if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Marco. On the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, back to David in the cave. Uh, you know, the, the frogs escape because there's sunlight there, and his hand, David's hand gets burned when he you know gets in the sun, and one tear drips down Kiefer's face. I liked I liked that. I liked it. I don't I mean It's awesome. I I like that. And he's also I didn't smiling. like that he had this I didn't like the fact that he had to stare at his hand the whole time as it's on fire. Like he's yeah. he's like looking at it so intently. My hand's on fire. Like I get it. Your hand's on fire. You could be looking at where the fuckers went <laughs> that like caused this whole thing. Yeah. But instead, you know, he chose to look at his his fucking flaming hands and then smoking hand, and because he looked at it so damn long, the fi- the flames went out. But I really liked the one, the one tear. tear, dude. Yeah, the one yeah. tear is good. And I I got a trivia piece about that one tear. We'll talk about Alrighty. it later. Jesus wept. Jesus did weep. Um, yeah. I I also need to just put a little more attention on the glitter in Bill's blood, because. <laughs> Like, in the moment where it's, like, squirting out or whatever, it's, like, kind of shiny and shit. But when those guys get outside in the sunlight, it is straight up, like, fucking glitter from the from Michael's, you know? Like they the, tripped and fell on the Hobby Lobby? Yeah. It is, like, <laughs> straight up glitter. It's not, like, blood with, like, a glittery tint. It's fucking glitter. They're just covered in glitter. It's, huh. like, kind of the, the budget was betrayed in that moment. I'm like, oh, that looks really cheesy. So... <laughs> Just need to call that out because I was like, "Ooh, that's stupid." Looking. There's one of those weird moments where it looked good on celluloid and doesn't yeah, look good you got the digital that, transfer exactly. You got that digital transfer, and you can see all the little pieces of glitter individually <laughs> on their fucking jackets. You can see how many times fucking Alex's hair is crimped. Mm-hmm. You can see each crimp separately. You could count them if you wanted to. <laughs> uh, when they get back to the house, Grandpa yells at them for not filling up the car with gas after using it. Um, you know the rule. Yeah, and it's of course it's like he's he's like hey you know like he's mad and they think he, he he's he's like asking him like what they're doing covered in glitter with you know holding star and like a blanket carrying her up the stairs and then instead he's like bitching about gas so it's another one of those like haha grandpa's so quirky kind of moments for sure and you also see that like they're both star and Michael's condition is deteriorating rapidly because at at some point neither one of them can stay awake to save their lives almost. Yeah, well, I think it's because it's the daytime, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. I well, she was pulled out of a slumber. He went in awake, right? But, but he was then all fucked gets up. to the car and he's like fucking passed out over the seat, bent over backwards. Yeah. Sam and the frogs hit the video store to try to convince Lucy that something crazy is going on, and she's not buying it because she's a grown up. And Diane Weist <laughs> is. Uh, I I really like Diane Weist. <laughs> 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 they uh she they hit it sold the whole thing for you yeah she's great i dig her she it's Kiefer and then diane weist right under that yep. uh they hit a church to fill up their canteens with holy water which i mean i it's a kind of a cute gag and then they tell i just i just want to know why they felt it was necessary i mean why was it necessary for them while filming this to also stage a baptism going on at the same time? Do you really need you needed that imagery as well to continue that you couldn't tell it was a church, you couldn't tell it was holy water, you needed a fucking baptism happening? Like there's it, it's it's a church with about 30 people in it looking back at them as they're rapidly dunking canteens <laughs> into a holy water font. Yeah. And 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 water pistols, like, and they're doing it. And they're all kind of like you know, tongue in cheek, smiling at them. And again, I guess I guess that's more of the Goonies vibe right there. But yeah. like, why? I don't know. I felt like 
it wasn't necessary to, and I'm sorry, but you know, to the industry, it wasn't necessary to pay a bunch of extras to uh, pretend they're having a, a baptism. For <laughs> they this could scene. have spent that money on cooler fucking blood for Bill <laughs> <laughs> instead of paying all those extras. Uh, blowing all the all the budget on the hairstyle. Yeah, they should have had instead of a baptism, they should have had a brisk going on. <laughs> well, there's no holy water in a brisk. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I just try to find a way to bring up a brisk. You know me and my bris. Uh, where was I talking about? Oh, uh, yeah, they they your foreskin. Yeah, they then <laughs> they then tell Grandpa's senile ass that he has a date with the widow Johnson to get him out of the house, and because he's fucking old, he's like, oh, okay. Um, and the thing is, in retrospect, he's it 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 honestly seems like he's just fucking playing along because at the end of the movie, you know, he's he's in the know the whole yeah. time. Yeah, so. If you look back on it, the only way to excuse that is if is is basically he was just letting them you know do their thing. Sure, but I like to imagine he did go and, and bone the widow Johnson just real quick, just because you know why not? As long as she was senile enough to not remember she had a date with him either. Exactly, she's over there with her peanut butter boppers, her root beer, and her double thick Oreo cookies. <laughs> um, so then we get the uh, the A team montage of them getting in the house, getting the house. Ready. <laughs> I'm glad you called it out. Thank you. Yeah. Of them getting the house ready for what they assume is an impending attack from the vampires once it's dark. It's not a full A-team montage, but... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're going to find a way to fit that into every episode. <laughs> Looking... I, I, I 100% after reviewing that, I want to include it whenever it's relevant. Absolutely. That's going to be one of the things we do here. So everybody strap in for more fucking split-second A-team theme. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, where was I? Oh, I want to know where they got that huge bag of garlic, dude. Did you see that fucking bag of garlic? Yeah, definitely. Was like... I mean, because it... it it's apparent that it's a lot because when they start dumping it into the tub, I mean, it's, it's, it's you like, got floating bulbs of garlic. I mean, it's, I didn't see a Costco yeah. in that town, but that's the only thing I could think of is they, they no, but Costco it, okay. So garlic. here's the thing. Like that being said, I, if I really wanted to, I could go to a farmer's market and get that much garlic because garlic's not hard to grow. It just takes a little bit of time. Sure. I guess maybe it's possible. Grandpa just had a bag of garlic like that laying around, especially yeah. based on what we know later. Well, he's and on top of it, like Grandpa's kind of a doomsday prepper, and maybe sure. he just liked a lot of garlic. I mean, they had enough to like, you know, fill a bowl of crushed garlic, garlic to 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 trick, you know, Max into thinking he's eating Parmesan cheese. Now, whether or not he was, <laughs> sure. how you're tricked into, you know, putting that on your plate and not smelling that yeah. much garlic, I would <laughs> I would think that that was permeating outside of the house. But <laughs> yeah, you digress. No fly. No, that's, yeah, that's, that'll be there at the end. Uh, <laughs> so now it's night and we see the vampires a- awaken back at the cave, uh, everybody except for Marco. At the same time, poor we Marco. see, yeah, poor Marco, RIP Marco. At the same time, we see <laughs> Lucy's having dinner with Max and she tells him about Sam's earlier visit to the video store. And then that's kind of like the wink. He wants to hear more about it because, you know, as we'll find out in a minute, he's, he's very interested. Yeah, Dan's giving me the fucking, the knowing eyes. <laughs> Back at the house now, Edgar Frog is telling Sam that no vampire dies the same way, setting up the shenanigans we're about to see. Um, oh, yes. Uh, you know, it, that's not a thing, right? I've never seen that in any other vampire lore than this no, movie. No, that's, as far as folklore is concerned, that hasn't crossed my radar. Okay. 
Uh, the vampires attack the house from all sides, and each one gets a fun death. Uh, Nanook pushes Paul into the holy water-filled bathtub upstairs, melting him, and for some inexplicable reason, launching his liquefied guts violently through all the pipes in the house, and potentially through the entire neighborhood, it seems. Well, depends on if it's a neighborhood. <laughs> he's, he's, he's so far off the grid, this could... I what Here's... Okay, so I thought about this, because it just seems so over-the-top, this scene. What would cause, I mean, first of all, so he starts to liquefy in the tub, right? Mm -hmm. The tub has a stopper in it because it's filled with holy water and garlic and, you know, whatever. And he falls in the tub. It's enough to, like, cover his entire body in liquid. And then eventually his skeleton starts to pop up. But at some point shortly after, a whirlpool of, like, goopy bloody water starts to swirl and it goes down the drain where did the stopper go at this point because it just seemed like the force of nature or the battle of you know this <laughs> undead <Whatever>. spirit you know <laughs> is is such an affront to nature that now that it's gone in the pipes it now has gone into the pipes gone into the kitchen plumbing blown the kitchen sink up blown the <laughs> double sink in the bathroom you know the va- bathroom vanity sinks up and now physically started spouting out of the toilet and then cracked the porcelain toilet in half <laughs> from that. Like, that's not even – that's not know, a dude. thing. Yeah. Like, even if your toilet was backfiring like that, it's not going to crack the damn, like, base of the toilet. And it continues. It's like it's a continuous thing. Yeah. So I'd like to know, like, what's the explanation for such a violent upheaval – taking place here based upon one line vampire death you know (laughs) like this dude's got one line maybe yeah yeah (gasps) yeah it's it's extreme and i don't oh it's it's above extreme it's over the top i don't know that it was necessary like i get it like I, i i get the visuals in there and again like okay you got you got the exploding toilet <laughs> you know so it's very like, poltergeisty though it is ex- you know except for like the, literally the toilet shatters <laughs> so well based upon project water projecting upwards yeah luckily we're not done because uh Dwayne is next and he catches an arrow through the chest launching him into the stereo where he is electrocuted horribly before his head explodes um and i feel like it's worth noting here that his like big line is Corey Haim shoots an arrow at him and misses and then Dwayne says you miss sucker <laughs> and I was like sucker yeah not right. twice yeah and I, I didn't realize that Corey Haim's character Sam here was an archer of any renown so that was interesting yeah he definitely pulls that one out of his hat yeah it's not like they set that out, out of his quiver exactly they set the fucking dirt buck the dirt bikes up way back in scene fucking two but at no point do we see him practicing archery outside which they could have easily thrown in somewhere so yeah he could have had a ruffled robin hood outfit that he's wearing earlier in the exactly. film, but it wasn't yeah i think fucking the the little kid in the civil war jacket would be wearing the robin hood outfit if if, if anybody's gonna be wearing it so but here's what i want to know i want to know the line death by stereo is that where the band got his name maybe i don't know if you i've know, ever heard that like, phrase kind anywhere of like, else kind of like a sweep the leg johnny yeah like, you know yeah death Possible. by stereo because i don't i that seems to me like when i saw that again i i kind of drew that connection i'd like to know if that's the origin of the band's name yeah i don't know if maybe that 
that in this movie it's a reference to something else that I'm not familiar with or if this is the first time that that's ever been uttered in which case obviously if that's true then probably the band got it from this but I actually just assumed it was already a thing from somewhere else and then this is like a call out of that so you know let me know when your internet sleuthing here uh, if you can find any evidence otherwise in the meantime we're gonna see Civil War era Prince Kid burst through the bed all vamped out and uh, before the frogs can stake him, Star comes to his rescue. And it's at this point that I'm wondering, why we never see Star in her vampire makeup? Yeah, I, you know what? I'm not sure. That's weird. The only thing I can think of is maybe it looked so ugly that they decided they didn't want her to look like that in the movie. Mm-hmm. But we never I mean, see her vamped out, even though everybody else gets vamped out. And I couldn't, I couldn't think of a reason why, you know, so... Whatever could it be? Could it even be like in her in her contract or anything? Like I don't think she had that kind of pull, dude. Back then, I don't know. That's weird. I mean the make the way they do the makeup, it's very masculine, like the the bone structure stuff they do to the vampires' faces. So maybe it just looked bad on her. Maybe they tried it. They didn't like the way it looked, and they tapped out. I don't know. But it did. I did bump on it though. Their name can be attributed to the 1987 horror film *The Lost Boys*, in which Corey Haim speaks the line. All right, death so, by stereo. Death by stereo, named after so this movie. They adopted their band name off of that line. There's a, a band very few people have heard of, but <laughs> we have They're a little so. bit more prevalent than a few people. You think so? Yeah, I think so. A little yeah. bit. All right. So you go into a skater scene or a punk scene. You probably have at least heard of *Death by Stereo*. Yeah. Warp tour. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Anyway, uh, meanwhile, downstairs, David and Michael have a vamp off, and this is the only time we really see some deliberate flying effects. Uh, it's subtle, but, you know, there's some moments where they're flying at each other and then flying together around the room. Uh, they keep them very quick cuts, so. So, okay, why? All right, this is this is my argument now again. David is, at this point, we're to believe or led to believe that he's probably the head vampire, okay? Yeah. So we're led to believe that he's at least, in the hierarchy of things, he's above the other three that, you know, cronies of his. Yeah. Why is he hiding in the shadows? Why is he not just taking Michael head on? Michael is the, um, I guess, the vampire whelp here that hasn't fully transformed, thereby... If we're going to go with any sort of vampire lore, not as strong as a senior vampire. I don't know. It, it, it just seemed like he's hiding in the shadows. He's he's playing little games of like where he could have just ended it. And it just seems like in in if we're going to make this follow more of a, a, a stricter vampire rule set, he would have just picked him up and ripped his head off, you know? Yeah, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't feel at all like they followed the rules here. It just, yeah, it's convenient needed, for the storytelling, yeah, they need but the it's story moment. Yeah, and it, but it just seemed like the other the other two vampires at this point were a lot more brash in their attacks, and maybe maybe that's why. Maybe David was now knows that these two other vampires have died, and now he better he better be a little bit more cautious in you know, a full on charge. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. It just seemed weird. The man. more you think about it though, the more ridiculous it is that these fucking kids were able to kill all those vampires the way they did. It's just like not, 
not super well conceived as far as like the scenes and the and the setups like these vampires are kind of a joke like i don't know that they would have survived any much longer if you know what i mean <laughs> like they really don't have the self-preservation thing down yeah i mean they wouldn't have lived as long as lestat sure yeah <laughs> that's a vampire tom cruise <laughs> with long blonde hair all the way oh god <laughs> <laughs> So uh, before David kills Michael, we get the classic join us and then never moment. And then Michael turns the tables and throws David into some antlers in the taxidermy room. Now, why does he like, I don't know, kind of writhe sexually upon these antlers? Like he's gyrating. You don't think that up and down on him. You don't think that Joel Schumacher's direction was what I was going to go with. That's (laughs) what I was going to go with. But I wanted you to say it, not me. All right, Kiefer. So what I need in this scene from you is I need you to writhe sexually (laughs) on these two phalluses. And if you could make hard eye contact with me while you do so, and I will tell you when I've got the shot. And then, of course, we've got the thou shall not kill music stuff during yes. this death scene as well. Yes. So really hammering that shit. Man, they, got the, they got their bucks out of it. It did. They earned every penny of that. So uh, since Michael is still a vampire, they now know that David was not the head vampire. And Well, they wonder at first, like, why is Michael not changed? Why does Star still feel the same? Yeah. They, well, they question it for a second. Sure, but just long enough for Lucy and Max to show up and... uh yeah, Max's reaction if if he I don't know, it just seems out of place like what what the hell's going on around here? Like fuck you, you don't live here, buddy. Yeah. I could rip my house up. It's not your business. <laughs> exactly. Who are you to I tell me? I could kill three to... other guys. So what's your problem? <laughs> Who are you to tell me not to destroy my plumbing? You're not going to fucking clean this mess up. I got to do it. Exactly. Well, he just seems so indignant. He well, you know, again, Joel Schumacher. But uh yeah, they they uh, <laughs> Lucy and Max show up, and while Lucy's talking to Sam and the frogs about what happened, Michael and Star watch from the shadows as Max inspects David's body. And at this point, like almost lovingly, yeah, almost, which is kind of reasonable. In fact, I think he he should have even been more so if he turned this guy like years earlier and you know felt like a connection like Family. that with him. Yeah, you would think, but we get this long monologue next where. Max basically shows all his cards and says that you know he wanted to you know marry Lucy and bring the the boys in the fold and boys need their mother exactly and so uh, there's this is one part I bumped on pretty hard here there's a line where Max says the reason he passed all the vampire tests was because he was invited in the house you know and it basically gave up all their power but how does that carry over to David and the other vampires like why were they able to come into the house. Yeah, see, again, unless, so since you bring this point up, so uh, it doesn't work for me one way, either way. Yeah. Like, because you're in welcome in, now you're you're good to go. Or because they intruded upon the house, that's how they were easily killed and they were able to fall for it. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't buy it. I feel that that's bullshit. Yeah. I feel like I've never heard the, like, you know, any any sort of thing. All right, maybe again, it's it's folklore and all that, so right. it's, it's obviously it's it's there's no fucking law in stone. But when it comes down to it, I've never heard that let a vampire invite a vampire in. You've now given him free reign to like 
fucking pull the wool over your have eyes. Have a reflection. Be, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Eat garlic, you know, fucking take a bath in holy water if you want to. Like, yeah. It just doesn't. I've never seen that device utilized as a get out of jail card. You yeah. Know? It struck me as like, okay, you invited Max into the house and therefore Max and every vampire that he's turned now has carte blanche in your house. And I was like, wow, okay, that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't take much. For sure. It but, just, it, I don't know. It, it seems like they just kind of ran out of steam on following the rules. Yep. That's the, this whole last scene kind of felt that way to me. It was like, ah, uh, fuck all the plot stuff. Let's just blow shit up. You know? Well, right. It was like they blew their wad on the effects there. And which I'll go back to the bathtub like deterioration scene. I like that scene as far as like an effect scene went. Yeah, like that. Not not the exploding everything. I meant like the, the melting, the melting, yeah. and so on. I I thought I thought they did that pretty well. And then, I mean, the the, the skeleton popping up seemed a little silly but you know the, yeah. the melting face and that worked for me speaking of silly the the next part here michael attacks max and uh you know everybody joins in and then we get to see what vampire max looks like mm-hmm. and it's ridiculous <laughs> that you know and it's it's not it's not dissimilar than the other vampires it's just over exaggerated you know it's like the the kind of caveman forehead is more pronounced on him. The eyes are more sunken in on him, and it's just. But the but you're right. I think it's just based on this fucking ridiculous hairstyle that he has, you know, in real life. And yeah, it's the, on top of that fucking vampire faces. Yeah, the that actor <laughs> so stupid. That actor does not look cool in that makeup. <laughs> does not look cool. Does not look scary. No, I mean it. Uh, it looked like Funhouse. Well, yeah, he also you know, like, like smile. He kind of smiles and sticks his tongue out and like. Oh yeah, he does. Fangs. He definitely does a long. He does a long like tongue flick. Yeah, uh, you know, and it's and it, it, it you blink and you miss it, but it's like. Uh, it's and he just, says he just, something like, "I still want you, Lucy." Like it exactly. almost sounds like a like a like a catty queen for a second there. <laughs> it's it's weird, dude. It's weird. I laughed. I was like, "Fuck." Yeah, it uh, as far as a, the big bad, he failed. Yeah. Yep, agreed. And it was like, you know, like I said, he's what do, what do you call a red herring that's not a red herring that is a red herring that's not a red herring? I don't I mean a brown they just kept, herring. Yeah, they just kept flip-flopping on it, you know. Just, the herring was just flip-flopping on the <laughs> yes. side there. It's like the fucking it's like the fish in in the Faith No More video. Mhm. That's a herring. It's the herring in the Faith No More video. <laughs> uh yeah, so Max gets the upper hand as, you know, we always see in these these kind of situations in movies. We hear the familiar fucked up horn of Grandpa's jalopy before he crashes through the wall, skewering Max with a wooden fence post he had strapped to the hood of his car, which causes Max to burst into flames. So, okay, the way I look, all right, there's a tiny bit of foreshadowing earlier in the film as he's putting fence posts into fence hole, you know, post holes. Yeah, and they're like they're very pointed and sharp. And then later we see as he's driving off to his date with with the widow that um, <laughs> they're on the back of I guess what would be the payload of whatever kind of shitty car this like shitty I don't know, it's it's almost like a fucked up Jeep slash El Camino isn't it like chitty chitty bang bang kind of man <laughs> it's like but the but the fence posts are on the flatbed payload of. Yeah of the vehicle as he drives away. So in my mind, as he crashes through the wall or the windows, they would have, 
the fence post would have had to have gone through his back window, through his front windshield, not hit him, and then shot through the rest of it and hit Max. Well, first of all, put some respect on the Widow Johnson's name, Dan. Second of all, <laughs> I feel like he... I wanted to say Widow Jenkins. For yeah, some you would have been close. You would have been close. The effort would have been applauded. I think that the idea is that he strapped them to the hood of the car outside. Like he prepared himself. Because your your theory of them flying through the car, it's, yeah, it's it not makes feasible. less sense to me than him like getting out of the car and putting a Correct. couple of stakes on the hood. But him busting through the wall of his house is a little much for me. Um, right. I mean, but if the thing is, he there's no way in hell he would have been able to strategically positioned where he's going to go, how he's going to do it. It, it. it was just, he could have made just it as seem like killed his entire family in that moment <laughs> or, or and himself because it, it made it seem like he's uh, here's, here's the joke. He's the senile old man who now drove into the side of the house and just so happens the fence post that was on his vehicle, in his vehicle, whatever, flew off and killed the vampire. At that point, you still don't know he's in the know. Right. Yeah. It just seemed like senile old grandpa. Here he is, kooky old guy. He forgot. Wasn't which paying one attention. Was, which one was the gas and which one exactly. was the brake. Where, <laughs> exactly. That's a, <laughs> where I was going. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So Max is dead. Red herring. Yeah. He's, a, he's a, the other herring. We got herrings everywhere flopping he's, all over this fucking blue cabin. Herring. Redfish, bluefish. Yeah. So now Max is dead. And with that, Michael and Civil War era Prince Kid both lose their vampire makeovers. And uh, as Grandpa enjoys his hard-earned root beer in the other room, he tells the family that the one thing about Santa Carla he never could stomach was all the damn vampires. And, and then that's it goes the moment. Dark. Yeah. That's on the, the rest of the family. That's the moment where we realize that Grandpa knew all along that this fucking town was riddled with vampires. This irresponsible son of a bitch knew all along let his daughter and two grandchildren move into this area knowing that there's all sorts of fucking vampires all over this place. And he let them move in, didn't tell them, didn't give them a warning. The only thing he cared about was goddamn root beer and double-thick Oreos. (laughs) Double-thick Oreo cookies, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going to agree with everything you just said there. He's a piece of shit. He's a terrible grandpa. And with but he's that, kooky. Yeah, he is kooky. He does. He will play dead if you if you're not looking out. Uh, you know that I'm telling you right now. You move into my neighborhood, and and you're you're even just a fucking acquaintance. I'm going to tell you there's vampires all over the place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just random people at the fucking convenience store. Like you know, there's vampires here, right? You know what, man? Like, just careful. That guy over there, he's, he's a fucking vampire. Yeah, the guy that owns you know, the video let them, store. He let them circle their fucking house. He let, he, he's, he let the fucking head vampire in have dinner with his daughter. Come yeah, on. We, we it's, it's assume at least got a little tit, too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's, a bad, he's a bad grandpa. He's a bad father. And, yeah, we're treated to some more people are strange here as the, as the credits roll. And, uh... Because he's kooky and there's a lot of vampires. And, a lot of vampires, a lot of double-thick Oreos, and that was the Lost Boys. Nailed it. Boom. Boom. So, yeah, let's fucking let's get into some reviews real quick here. IMDb gave this son of a bitch 7.3 out of 10. And by gave it, I mean it has a you know composite score of, because IMDb is not the giving aggregate scores score. out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, 7.3. 
Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 76% critic score and 85% audience score. And uh, it seems fair. That's that's about what you would expect from this. Uh, and I don't yeah, but know. that audience score is obviously reflective of people who nostalgia. saw it a few years ago. Yeah, it's you know. nostalgia. Yeah, so I don't know. What do you think? Sword Dick, Quicksand, and a Car Seat, Broccoli, what are we looking at on this one? Kiefer Sutherland gives it the Quicksand under the car seat. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's Quicksand under the car seat. So you think without Kiefer, it's a fucking, it's a Broccoli horror trope. I'm sorry, and um, I feel I feel sad knowing that this movie no longer holds the same magic for me that it did in the past. Yeah, I I guess looking at this under a microscope, it it kind of it didn't ruin the film for me, but it definitely dropped it for me. Where Kiefer is the uh, the lone holdout as to why I like it today. Um, I yeah. thought I liked the Frog Brothers part better than I did. Um, I thought that uh, you know there was there was more depth to the, you know the character development, um, and and I I kind of wanted looking back at it. I got excited at the very beginning, maybe fifteen minutes, because I liked the setting of the boardwalk and the you know the amusement carnival atmosphere. I liked it, yeah. and then they just kind of dropped it, and I I felt like they could have explored that as a as a as an older Scooby Doo type motif, and that would that would have done it for me, man. Yeah, I, and I rem- guess I forgot some of that shit that sure. like dropped it down. The effects the effects to me on top of that are dated. Um, I feel like. There's uh, nothing. There's no the the fucking taxidermy like the fucking was that a hawk or whatever that scares Corey Ham at one point. Yeah, was was more jump inducing than than anything else at this point. <laughs> and, you know the vampire door you ripping. Know? Yeah, I mean there there <laughs> there's a there's a little bit of uh, you know implied uh, homoeroticism maybe. I don't know. Like again. It's nowhere nearly as overtly noticeable as in, like, you know, Batman and Robin type of thing. <laughs> sure. But, like, I mean, you could tell you could tell where his directions, you know, were, were going a, a little bit. Yeah. And that doesn't bother me. It just, I you know, make up your mind. Like, what what did, what did this film need to be? And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm angry a little bit knowing that I don't like it as much as I did. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel bad. I'm a little worried about where this podcast is going to lead us. It's going to, I think it's going to put some, some more (laughs) items on that list, but, uh, yeah. And and I, okay. Here's the thing. If you asked me to watch this again, I probably would still need to put another five years between watching it. I don't need to watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. Not there's, there's, I have, I have, I hold no excitement to introduce my son to this film like I do other films from that era. Like I was, I was super stoked to, to, to bring my son up to, to watch Goonies, you know, we, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And and again, similar era, similar casting involved. And, you know, that uh, Goonies is still dated a little bit on its own, but like it, holds uh, up. It, 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 it does hold up. And there's dozens of movies in, on, on my mental list where I want to watch with my kids and 
I, the Wasp Boys is is got a line through it now on that list. Oh shit! Well, I think that I don't disagree with anything you said. I think I liked it a little bit more than you did, and I think that's probably just because of uh, the sexy saxophone guy. But <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's quicksand under the card seat for me too. It's I remember liking it more than I do for sure. The nostalgia it it. My memory of it, it was a better movie than it actually is. There's more to the movie than there actually is in my memory. I, you know, you mentioned the, the the sexy saxophone player. I think that's he became the model for the Batman and Robin suits years later. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, I I gotta wonder. Like, yeah, I'm gonna leave that there. I'm not gonna say anything else <laughs> about that. I'm gonna <laughs> dig myself into a hole. But yeah, I'm with you. Quick center of the car seat. Um, and for all the same reasons, I I wasn't planning on sharing this with my you know son, but yeah, I I, I feel bad that we've kind of ruined the movie for you a little bit, but also I feel good about exposing it for the truth that it is. See, but I'm still I'm still able to wear wear this T-shirt because there's still enough people out there in the world that have the nostalgia for this film. Yeah, that this T-shirt is cool. Yeah, well, I also think that you can still, like, have the nostalgia and, and know that, I mean, eventually we're going to talk about fucking American Ninja, which I have a ton of nostalgia for, Ugh. and it's it's not a good movie. <laughs> so, you know, eventually well, I'm going to make you suffer through that, but it's it'll be a similar vibe. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm with you. So, as with last time, we're going to do our letterbox rankings here, and I've added this to our profile, and for me it's pretty clear... Pump up the volumes in the number one spot for me. Um, yeah. Lost Boys. I don't know where. Where do you you going to put Lost Boys at I the bottom? Lo- no. So uh, you know, and and the the reason why is because there's more memorable elements that work overall to yeah. Lost Boys above, for example, Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, I could probably watch Can't Hardly Wait again sooner than I can watch the Lost Boys, but. As as a work, I'm gonna. I I feel that there's still there's there's imagery and moments in the film that are going to last longer in history than you know than what's up, baby. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree. I want to continue. You know, using you know pulling pulling a quote or two out of the Lost Boys. You know, f- for the rest of my life, but like I don't know which quotes there's going to be now. Yeah. For me, uh, Kiefer Sutherland is better than anything in Can't Hardly Wait. Even though Can't Hardly Wait's got some great stuff, and Seth Green obviously is like the best part of Can't Hardly Wait for me, but Kiefer Sutherland is just better than everything about Can't Hardly Wait for me, and that's what is going to put his hair for me. Yep, even his hair. I love blonde Kiefer Sutherland. I dig it. Blonde, spiky, punky. Yeah, Kiefer. So we agree. Pump of the Volumes number one, Lost Boys number two, Can't Hardly Wait number three. Right on. Yeah. Happy about that. I, I and, and again, using that scale, I'm going to tell you right now, pump up the volume as dated as that was for some reasons, it held up so much better Yep. in this in this recent viewing sessions. I agree. A lot more poignant, a lot more, uh, yeah, agreed. Let's hit some facts. Uh, my first fact here, Santa exactly. Cruz, where this film, where this movie was filmed, had uh, had this murder capital reputation because in the early 70s, there were three different ser- serial killers working that area, which I actually didn't either know or remember. So that's okay. Kind of it, okay. So what? Hillside Strangler? Was he? 
I don't remember the three. The only one I I remember, like, the only one I knew by name was Ed Kemper. Okay, Kemper hit that. Yeah. Okay. But then there was two other dudes with, you know, three three names. (laughs) Middle name dudes, you know, serial killer names. You can look it up. But. Well, I just fin- I just finished watching the uh, the Night Stalker uh, Netflix documentary miniseries. Yeah, we watched that I when it, when it first came out. I actually remember the Night Stalker when I was a kid because I was I, uh, I lived in Southern California at that point. But so I was older than you. Yeah, I was young and it, I didn't feel personally scared, but I knew that there was a guy, a serial killer called the Night Stalker, that was like out in L.A. And at the time, I lived in Orange County, which is a little south of there, but it was still close enough to freak my mom out. <laughs> <laughs> Not the walk-in killer, but the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker, yeah. Uh, my second one seems likely that the Gecko Brothers from uh, from Dust Till Dawn were named as homage to uh, the Frog Brothers. Since you say that, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're, I don't know, they're not so much as intended vampire hunters. No, but, I mean, come on, the name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking yeah. of names, this one's an obvious one, but Ed, Edgar and Alan Frog are obviously named for Edgar Allan Poe. Oh. Um, yeah, that's for all the, the dum-dums out there that don't read. <laughs> uh, my fourth fact here, legend has it that Schumacher actually fired Corey Feldman because he was dozing off during takes after a cocaine binge and Feldman promised to get straight and then was allowed to stay on. But that explains to me, that explains a lot of, it explains why he was so good in stand by me and shit in this. Does it explain like the bad audio drop-ins that they do where he clearly is re-recording his his voice it would actually explain that probably you know but whatever the case yeah he that guy was coming off hard (laughs) there's there's parts where it looks like they re-recorded his vocals because whatever he said at the time was just inaudible or or just they needed to completely redo it because there's parts where his i mean his vocals like are on a different level than everyone else's when when you know in the scene it was all that sniffing they had to go redo the video or uh, the audio. Oh, God. Uh, number five, you'll enjoy. Joel Schumacher said on the DVD commentary that Rob the, the Rob Lowe poster was there because he had recently directed Lowe in St. Elmo's Fire. So there you, we go. There you we go. got there that go. one. That one was a little, little, little one, one just for you. So why Molly Ringwald? <sighs> I don't know. Because she's awesome. <laughs> because the Breakfast Club. Yeah, because fuck it, it's got to be in, in everything. Uh, number six here, apparently the tear that falls from Kiefer Sutherland's eye in the scene where he uh, gets burned by the sun was caused by his contact lenses irritating him, but it looked good, so they left it in. Yeah, that, I mean, that looked, the amount of tear that, that fell on there, that looked like, you know, fucking saline. Yeah, like nowadays they would have digitally added that tear, you know, uh, that, so they, they got I mean, lucky. it's a significant tear. It's a handsome tear. Yeah. Kiefer I mean, Sutherland it, it, only cries handsome tears. I would have left it in. That's for sure. Yeah, fuck yeah. He made listen, Bravo, Schumacher made at least Bravo one good on, choice. <laughs> Bravo contact lens. Exactly. Uh another one here. Originally David wasn't supposed to be dead at the end and was supposed to be in a never made sequel called The Lost Girls, which was written but never filmed. So that's why mm-hmm. he didn't have like an exploding kind of fun death. That's why he dry humped some dry air. Dry humped the air. Yeah. He, he did like John Travolta and perfect at Joel Schumacher off camera. And then the uh, the final one here, which I think you'll enjoy. The name Michael is said approximately 118 times during the movie. Oh, well, is it, is it just Michael or is it Michael, Mikey and Mike? Just Michael. 
Oh my god. It is it is pretty, it's pretty a lot. repetitive. There's a lot of Michaels. So Wow. Fuck let's Somebody took the time. Yeah, somebody counted that. It wasn't me. I'm trusting it, but it sounds right. There's a lot of Michaels. For sure. Let's do our uh let's do our no fly list here. Alright, who goes first? You go first on the no fly list, my uh, friend. I'll go first. Well, I'm just making sure. <laughs> All right, so let's let's look at this today through the eyes of today. I mean, the vampires—they're not scary, man. Nope. Like they're not—they're not intimidating, and and honestly, they're no different than like you know TV vampires with less of a budget. I, to me, like it, they definitely influenced where the vampires and you know Angel and Buffy the Vampire Slayer—they yeah. they look almost like exactly like you'd see in those those TV shows. And those aren't scary in no, the TV not. show either. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't. That doesn't fly for me. There, for for what's considered, it's still considered a, a horror film of, of you know that genre. It's just they're not scary. No. Um, there's there's really no no scares in the film other than some of the fashion choices, like <laughs> Alex or Alexander Winters. Fucking perm mullet. Yeah. I mean, who fucking thought that was a good idea? I don't I mean, know. For, I mean, just really. Who 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 said, like, this... Oh, fucking do me up this way. And, and while you're at it, like, glue that shit on the back of my head. <laughs> Doesn't work, man. Nope. So, yeah, I mean, that... And, and honestly, living through 1987, you know, as, as kind of a young teenager, I would not have thought that hair was cool. And I had some bad hair choices myself. So. <laughs> I've seen pictures. <laughs> um, I feel yeah, this isn't necessarily no fly list. I feel it was just more of a decision. I, I wished, and I said this earlier, I wish they embraced the boardwalk yeah. carnival style more. But it just seemed like they just they couldn't couldn't really pick out a central location to, 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 to throw this together on. They just kind of... They're, they're a little schizophrenic on where they were at. So. It probably cost a lot to film down there. I mean, yeah, but they had so much like other bullshit they threw out from the second unit in there too. When you when you look back at that, maybe they did that gorilla style. Yeah, it could be, maybe. Um, so, if in fact you've got the usual vampire weaknesses and, and rules in play, like what? Where was the the explanation of the head vampire? Like how how do you really justify that? I don't buy. I don't buy that like invitation in you know shit at all. Nope, that was bullshit. I'm with you. So doesn't fly with me at, at all. It just seemed like a straight cop out. Yep. It's like we we've we've now allowed this guy to continue being the red herring and trick everyone twice over. But then we're gonna come up with this bullshit like exception to the rule. It's got a fucking hall pass to come in. You know? <laughs> so that's stupid. Yep. Um bizarre editing choices you know you talked about liking some of the blocking earlier on why why was fucking that nuke slow motion for for no good reason to no effect when he goes slow motion to knock you know knock the fucking vampire into the bathtub like it's really no other use of that technique at that level of slow motion like there's just literally the dog comes slow motion pouncing dramatically in to slow motion knock the vampire backwards up they could have just done done that away with that altogether it just didn't there was it was stupid it made me think it, maybe when they like they filmed it and at normal speed it didn't look good i mean maybe they, i don't know it seemed like they wanted to just 
again blow their wad on that like that that ending the couple the scenes the, the destroyed yeah. plumbing <laughs> so and then and then i talked about this a little bit and if in fact you know we reason that the, that the bathtub vampire destruction led to plumbing explosions all over because it you know violated the, the laws of nature or something <laughs> to have vampire blood or you know vampire goop mixed with you know the water system and i'm going to assume that you know living off the grid like they were that he's he's his house is working off of a fucking well system. So it wasn't even city water. So right. I'm, I'm going to assume that like, you know, why, why were the, why were the other vampire deaths so less significant while they're all different according to the frog brothers rules? Why was it, why was it like even, even, you know, Max is, is the head vampire. His, his little kind of explosion death was nothing compared to the exploding plumbing that was still rattling for like, I don't know what seemed like eons afterwards. Still and, going and right now, probably. It, right, man. Like <laughs> just the geyser, the geyser of guts coming out of that sink. <laughs> Grandpa probably can't fucking drink a root beer without like blood spurting out of a sink somewhere. <laughs> I'm so glad I got your pronunciation of root beer on on audio here on tape. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's just like it, the the hierarchy of the vampire seems out of whack. You know, with the distribution of of the uh, the death aftershocks to me doesn't jive it seems like a it's, it seems like they they had the 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 overwrought idea of exploding plumbing for the one and then they're like i don't i don't fucking know how to do the rest of them you know let's yeah. arrow through the chest exploding head you know and but it no, nothing about that like i don't know like it didn't it didn't cause nature to come crashing down around him like like the fucking exploding toilet that cracked in half yeah so i'm nitpicking but yeah that's what we're doing here bro yeah, I think one of the bi- biggest misses with this movie for me watching it again was just how little thought was put into the like the the mythology of these vampires and and the lore and their history and all of that shit. And you're right, and it's and it's it's even more outrageous that the Frog Brothers have written comic books about how to deal with vampires based upon the folklore and the mythology and this set of rules and so on. Yeah. And then they just fucking chuck it right out the window. They wipe their after, ass with it. After they remind you, throw it in your face and, and tattoo it on your arm, they just they said, oh, well, he was invited in. Yeah, fuck that. Well, that was a solid list, and I don't disagree with any of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's hit mine real quick. Do you, quick for, do you forgive any of them? Nah, not really. All right. Um, and I noticed that the saxophone wasn't on your list, so... I, you know, not everyone would notice that. That could, that could only, fly in a lot of books. Only a former saxophone player. Um, yeah, my list, obviously, that fucking security guard with the Hulk arms who ripped that car door off the hinges. That's fucking ridiculous. Uh, I made lots out of the glitter blood, and I'm I'm holding to it. The It's probably mainly just the high-def transfer that makes the glitter look terrible, but it looked terrible. Yeah. And back to the security guard's arm. Yeah. It, if they were able to melt the the vampire's face off, you know, at, at the end so well, they could have they could have had his arm like stuck to the door instead of it ripping the door off, and it would have been to, <laughs> to greater effect on us. Yeah, that would have been better for sure. You know, fucking call Tom Savini in there and have him do a practical effect and have a dangling arm. <laughs> I don't think they could afford him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I need some clarification on the rules. You 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 covered that the the vampire needing permission to enter the house or not it, all that bullshit just irritates me 
Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go traditional route, yes, the, you're supposed to invite them in. Otherwise, they can't come in. But whether that's manifested in a fucking force field or just a, you know, they, you know, the the they're honor bound. The, yeah, the honor I don't system. know. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it, it, again, it's kind of a weird, you know, folklore rule going back in time. Anyway, yeah. sure, fucking Bram Stoker just came up with that on on a fucking fly. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. I'm sure there's some sort of a probably some sexist connotation to it if we really dig deep enough. Yeah. Um, Chivalrous. Yeah, exactly. The the surf Nazis listening to Aerosmith plus Run DNC. That, that's no. Yeah. That does not fly. I don't know any Nazis that would rock out to Run DMC. <laughs> not good Me, ones. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Let alone surf Nazis. You know? Yeah, yeah. There'd be there'd be some fucking. Some kind of punk rock for sure. Not not Run DMC. Yeah, some skinheads, you know, hard, hardcore, fucking anything else. Even like some Dead Kennedys would have been ironically funny, you know. Right, you know. But I mean, if you're gonna sure, call them I'm, surf Nazis, then that would be amusing to do that. Yeah, I can I can clearly see why they wouldn't throw in a track from Screwdriver, but like, <laughs> you, know, you know that opens up a whole different can of worms. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not gonna fucking give him money. Nope. Um, the idea no that grandpa's for you. Yeah. No. 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 No extra promotion either. Um, the idea that grandpa knew that there's vampires there and still allowed his daughter and grandkids to move there. Like, fuck, fuck off, grandpa. You're, yeah. Where's your Where's your sense of responsibility? You know, you're you're the fucking you're the patriarch of this family, and and here you are like letting them come into a fucking murder zone. The only responsibility he's got is to his double thick uh, Oreo cookies. So. <laughs> maybe double thick is reference to something else. <laughs> maybe uh, Widow Johnson only <laughs> knows. Only the Widow Johnson knows. Thank you for putting <laughs> some respect on the Widow Johnson's name there. Patum. How easy the vampires were to attack in their nest. I just didn't like that. Obviously, David trusted Star to keep watch, but she didn't seem to have earned that trust. You know, she's a poor sentinel. She was she was out like a light. Yeah, where mean. was their fucking hellhound? <laughs> That's what I wanted. What to know. I what I enjoyed was <laughs> when when Michael went to rescue Laddie and Star. Um, it was it was almost like you know trying to trying to wake up a, you know the 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 teenager to go to school. Yeah. Oh, go take take Laddie first. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me. I'm still asleep. Let me five, five more, more minutes, minutes, Mom. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Not a good sentinel. All right, and my uh, my last no fly here is double thick Oreo cookies because I'm sorry, but nobody says thick. It's double stuffed Oreos. You think Nabisco had a problem with that? I mean, uh, it, it, for maybe. a product placement, you know, yeah. you would have gotten that shit right, you know. Yeah. Because and and on top of it, like if we go back to '87, there's a good chance that that might have been a new product at the time. I think could so. it could have could it have been that it was so new. So new that they hadn't fully decided upon double stuff or double thick. Well, dude, do you remember that for a minute in the 80s, they had something called Oreo Big Stuff, which was mm-hmm. like yeah. a huger version of... Yeah, and I think that I think that made it out of the 80s. Did and it? It either reared its head again. I don't know. I Right now, I, I've seen mega stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely mega stuff on the shelves right now. Oh, man. I actually want less. I want Dude. less cream. Dude. I I want. I like the thin ones. So then you you know what the thin ones are actually really good. I see. I'm here's the thing, the thin ones and the double stuff, 
have made me not want the regulars anymore. Yeah. All right. And I also and 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 that and the fact that like did they really need to come up with all these wacky flavors over time? <laughs> like buttered popcorn. Dude, like the Lady I like Gaga the mint ones, ones, you the know. Mint, the mint ones are good. I'll tell you right now the Lady Gaga ones look ridiculous, but they taste good. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they taste like. They taste good though. And on that note, um <laughs> yeah, I think that's it for me. What movie are we doing next next time? What do we got next? We are doing a Stone Cold classic. We're doing Commando. Oh yes, yes. This one's this is another one where it's like my choice, but it would have been your choice had I not put it in my list. You so. know, it's it's gotta have a call out somewhere. Yeah, you know, we, we might as well just knock it out. And I am very worried about this. I haven't seen this movie in probably it ten here's years. A, here's my bet. My bet is it's it's still highly quotable in that ironic sense but will be dated as fuck yeah and that you know and that all these tough guy stereotypes you know as we go back in time and dig into the 80s and 70s and even some of the 90s shit we're gonna see that these tough guys don't hold a candle to today you know to yeah. today's movie tough guys yeah yeah you I go back and you right. watch you watch these martial art films. You watch these like you know heavy hitting action films and stuff. The only thing that it's going to have is it's going to have Arnold's muscles that are still pretty unbeatable. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time talking about those next uh, episode. So I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, fucking a. Let's let's do some commando next time around. Word. All right, man. Well, I will. Uh, I'll see you next time. All right, Dan out. I'll kick everyone's ass in this room.